0: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
1: Drive to deep center field, going back is at the track, right to the wall, done Elvis Andrews.
0: And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field,
1: and Nino left the Guerrero lifts one to left field,
2: and...
3: Good afternoon, everybody. Yes, it is A's Cast Live. After a little bit of a day off, we are back. And this is a very special show because this is the first show not only can you hear us live on A's Cast, athletics.com slash A's Cast, but you can watch us live from the new A's TV studio and you can see us on our YouTube channel. You can see it on Twitter. And this is how AceCast Cast Live is going to roll going forward as we continue to break down this season. And it's something that we have really worked hard on. It's something that we did kind of a, a soft open on Twitter just to see what it looked like and how it would go. But what we're going to do is supply you the best possible coverage, which was always our intent on streaming. We're now going to do it. Also on video. And the interactive stuff that we are going to have all around the studio will change throughout the season. To my right, you can't see it. I have a whole wall. We're going to have a fan wall allow you to send us stuff for the studio, help us decorate the studio, and we'll have a fan wall. that's going to be great and going to keep this party rolling. And it's now interleague play. I love interleague play. I always have. And first of all,
1: good Tuesday to you, Cody. How are you? Good. This is uh, Interleague started in what, 97? Was, I believe, the first year of Interleague play?
3: I can't even remember.
1: Yeah, 1997, so 20, 25 years ago.
3: Literally is one of the late-to-the-party dumb things in the history of sports. Like, you want to talk about not changing. When you have all the leagues around you, whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, everybody plays everybody, you still have your different conferences. You still have the NFC and the AFC. You still have the Eastern and Western Conference. But the fact that baseball was the last one to go, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got an American League and we got a National League and we can't play each other except one time a year in the World Series. So all those years, Ted Williams couldn't play in the National League, Willie Mays couldn't play in the American League. Stan Musual, Hank Aaron. I mean, you just think about American sports fans literally – and travel was much harder back then, for God's sakes. You know how hard it was to get from New York to L.A. back in the day? If you really want to go back in the day where everybody traveled by train, the fact that if you lived in an American League town or you lived in a National League town, you never got to see the other guys – and the only time you got to see him was very rare on, wait for it, folks, black and white television.
1: <laughs> What's that? Is that a Zenith? I think my grandpa- my grandmother had one of those.
3: Like, you'd have to have, like, the rabbit ears going and, like, the weird dials. Like, I don't even remember. That was a little kid. But I don't even know if I even remember black and white TV.
1: Uh, I think all
3: the TV since I've been
1: been, yeah. been remembered has always been color. I'm pretty sure my grandma still had a... Uh a black
3: but and yet, white. but yet, those geniuses at Major League Baseball—they want to hold on to that. There's still people that want to hold on to that. One of them actually is going to be coming your way here at 6:40. Uh, Ken Korak doesn't like interleague play. There's still people that want to hold on to. No, we never play the American League. We never play the National League. You never see the other teams. You see them one time, only one time, and that's in the World Series. I'm so glad they got away with it. I love interleague play, and soon with the balanced schedule. We'll get a, we're going to get starting next year. We'll absolutely get away from this ridiculous what's been going on for years. Every team will play every team. It's just it'll be like, let's just say, the Marlins to really excite people. The Marlins will come to town once every two years, and the A's will go to South Florida once every two years. But you will see the Marlins every year. Because if a Marlins have the start, I mean, it, it would be like a National League team going – Do I care about the Angels? Well, probably in years past, no. But now you do, because they have one of the greatest players in the history of the game, Mike Trout, and they got this other guy that we don't even know how he is going to be defined. But if there is one player in Major League Baseball that is must-see, as we said, television, but really must-see that if there was one player where you said, you know what, go into a Major League baseball game or going to any sporting event it's not easy right it's expensive you got to deal with the ticket you got to deal with traffic you got to deal with all the different stuff you got to deal with there was one guy that you go you know what he's one guy I'd put my money down to I want to go see and I would go through everything it takes to get there it's Shohei Otani every baseball fan should have an opportunity to watch this I hope it's not a a once-in-a-lifetime deal but I got to tell you, that's the guy I want to see. And every National League team should be able to see Shohei Otani. And you throw him and Trout on the same team, for God's sake. So uh, interleague play, always great, and always great for division rivals. Why? Because we can't stand the other team. I'll say it. I'm not going to sit here and try to be politically correct. Ace fans, we can't stand the Giants. That's the beauty of the crosstown rival in in interleague play. You think the Yankees and the Mets like each other? God, no. White Sox and Cubs? Nope. And over the years, it was really a one-way deal. But that all changed when all of a sudden Artie Marino took over. Well, first the, the Angels won the World Series, and then... Artie Moreno came to town and started saying, "I want the same television contract. I want the same everything the Dodgers get." That kind of increased their rivalry, and then the Angels started owning the Dodgers, and the whole Frank McCourt and all that kind of stuff that went on. Um, that's been fantastic. Interleague play is great, even though the DC and Baltimore and that they haven't really established either one, both being good at the same point. But it, it will get there. But that's the fun part. A's and Giants fans, we don't like each other. All time, the A's lead it, 71 to 65. Everybody knows about the 1989 World Series, but that wasn't an interleague play. But it's spirited. It's fun. And whether, whether one team is good, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's the best when both teams are good. But there is a little juice to it, even if one of the teams is bad. Because the other fan base goes to the other team stadium. Everybody's popping off at each other. We care more than the players, obviously. But I think for me, it's one of my favorite times of the year, Cody, is when we get these two teams getting after it. Because the fan base is we're going to have our people invading Oracle Park. It's still hard to even call it Oracle Park. But, yeah, it's fun to go over. And if we manhandle them like we have in, in years past, it's really fun to go over there and kick their you-know-what.
1: They have a, the Giants. It was, the A's were 2-4 and four versus the Giants last year in interleague play. And they were 11-9 and overall uh, in interleague play. They're currently 1-2 this year because, remember, we started the year against the Phillies nothing of says, all teams.
3: Nothing <laughs> says opening day like Phillies A's.
1: I uh, know. It's, it's, it, but if you look at both teams, I mean, the A's being at 9-8, and eight, the Giants at 12-5 and five this year, both teams, uh, they like to strike out a lot. Giants have struck out 158 times this year. That's second in the National League. Uh, well, they did face Corbin Burns last night. He hit uh, 11. And the A's have struck out 155 times. That's second in the American League. Uh, the Giants love to hit the home run. They have 19. That's second in the AL or NL. The A's have 15. But what's cr- surprising about that is 12 of them are on the road. They have three home runs at home. Two of them are in the same game. And then we saw one over the weekend. Stephen Piscotti's big two-run homer on Sunday to win, you know, the, salvage the series against the Rangers. So it's in, and you got a good pe- pitching matchup tonight. Carlos Rodon, who might be the best pitcher through three or four starts in the National League, versus Dalton Jeffries. Who take a uh, take out the your, your old bingo card via Dalton Jeffries leading the A's in ERA to start the season.
3: He's got a one point one seven.
1: It's pretty remarkable.
3: Now Rodon, he's looking to become the first pitcher to wait for it, throw five plus innings and giving up one run or fewer in each of the first four starts. Now, the one run is not what's striking. What's striking is five-plus innings. The fact that Walker Bueller last night against the Snakes had a complete game was utterly shocking to people today covering baseball. Like, when I got up this morning and listening to all the stuff that I listened to, whether it's MLB Network, or watching MLB Network, or uh, listening to uh, XM, I mean, people are just like, oh, my God, he, they actually – Dave Roberts, after you – know, there's still talk about Clayton Kershaw, his first start, being taken out uh, with the perfect game. Would have been history if he was able to do it after seven. But a lot of talk there. Guys are just not going deep. And that's where the story of these next two games, as they did a full bullpen game yesterday in Milwaukee – is the fact that the A's bullpen has been really good, and the Giants' bullpen has actually been the best in baseball. So whose bullpen is going to crack? I, You know, like Cody said, you'd like to look at the names and look at the starters for these games, but they're not really the... It's like, okay, you like that Rodon and Jeffries both have really good ERAs, 1.17 and 1.06, but they don't go super deep in games. So if they factor because their team gets an early lead, great. If they don't, it's going to come down to these bullpens. And both these bullpens have been pretty much lights out. And for the athletics, finding them some bullpen, Jimenez – I mean, right now, I haven't looked to see. I gotta think. Isn't Lou's got to be ready to come off the COVID
1: list? Yeah, it's been since what last Friday. So
3: we haven't gotten the. We haven't gotten any. Just to give you an update, we get all this on the company email. We have not gotten an email about the COVID guys now in days.
1: Yeah, what's at Pinder? Jed Lowry, Drew Jackson, and Lou Trevino will be the four guys still on the COVID. Well, IL. Drew just
3: went on a little yeah, bit ago, but the
1: other guys have been on since like last Friday, going into the, um, who was the series we were going into last Friday, or as after Toronto, coming in the homestand, I believe is when the guys were put on the COVID list. So it's been over a week, or it might like, be at a week.
3: Piscotty went on it; he's back. I want to swear your, your Don Alvarez for the Astros literally was on it for like three days. Like I saw it and went, oh, and then like four days later, he's hitting a home run. So, I, you know, the difference between whether you actually tested positive for COVID or you were around somebody with COVID, A.J. Puck tested, came back pretty quick. Want to get into that a little bit later about innings from your bullpen guys. Uh, You know, There's people talking a good game in baseball right now, but all you have to do is watch how they manage their pitching and you realize they don't mean what they're saying. Not at all. And also, Major League Baseball and the Players Union. I texted you today, Cody, when I saw that today. Uh, We have to go from 28 to 26. Now, GMs do not want to do that. They love this 28. You know who doesn't love 28 on the roster?
1: Uh, Position players. You never think business. I I think, yeah, true. You never think business. I'm not a
3: business guy. This is is a business. You think the owners want more guys on the roster? Oh, no, they want less. Well, they've already agreed to one. To 26.
1: I mean, the GMs might want more, but.
3: You may want to be creeping to 20. Yeah, well, it's not the GMs' money. You want to creep to 28. And then next thing you know, I mean, GMs would love to have 30 32. You've just now added to everybody's, wait for it, payroll.
1: Payroll. (laughs) It's very true. And the 28's going to stick around, or 14 pitchers now, till the end of May.
3: 14 pitchers. Because as I told you on this show, And now you can see it on YouTube and on Twitter. I told you, they're going to make every excuse in the book. What was the excuse last year? Why did they have to have so much pitching last year? Why couldn't starters go deep last year? What was it? Uh,
1: The COVID-shortened season.
3: COVID-shortened season. Even though they had a full spring, the the COVID-shortened season was the reason why, hey, these guys can't go deep, and they took that into summer. Now – Short spring training, the lockout is now the reason. So they're going to allow you to keep 14 pitchers. 14. So we can see what the Rangers did on Sunday and see what the Giants did yesterday in Milwaukee. This is how they want... They can make every excuse, but this is how they want to play the game. And it's not until you regulate it, to change it, to do whatever you need to do to force their hand, as long as you allow... GM's managers to have these kind of options, they're going to, I'm not going to say abuse it, but it almost feels like it. Oh, hey, guys, even though we used to have eight man pitching staffs, I guess that was a, 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 a an era a long time ago. OK, but 14 guys. 14 players, you got to have 14 and you're like, well, we got to have five starters. I don't even know that these guys are starters anymore. Are you really a starter if you're only going four innings? Four innings. You're going four innings. I still got to get five innings from all these other guys. Are you really that? Yes, technically you were the first guy to come out and pitch, but are you really like a starter?
1: I don't know. I looked it up. The average start so far this year for a major league pitcher, um, you have to take the innings divided by games games, uh, played this year uh, through the league. 4.72 would be the – so less than five innings still for a starter. Now, that's a little skewed cuz Walker Buehler did go complete game last night. That was also the first shutout of 20. 20- well, obviously, would be the first shutout cuz it was a complete game. That's his first complete game since
3: Well, you can go a complete game and not have a shutout.
1: Yeah, but I'm saying you couldn't you can't get a shutout without going a complete game. That's true. But it was his first shutout since our first complete game since 2019. Dave Roberts said his pitch limit was 110. He finished with 108.
3: Well that you know and then that 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 gets to a lot of what when you look at what we're dealing with, the fact that guys are getting pulled at of extra extra out of X amount of innings, it has nothing to do with their pitch count. I mean, we've seen a starters this year pulled with 48 pitches, 62 pitches. It's just where are they in line against the other team's lineup. Have they seen him two times? This is this now the third time through the lineup? The paranoia, third time through a lineup. Max Scherzer last night, uh, if you got to see Scherzer, the way he goes through the lineup a third time, basically pitched everybody different. It's like almost like all young pitchers should pop in a video of Max Scherzer. That Scherzer comes after you essentially one way through the lineup. So he's thinking about that, right? He's thinking about – he's going deep in the game. So he goes against the Cardinals yesterday. He goes one way after you first two times through the lineup. Third time through the lineup, he changes everything. So if you're one of these hitters, you think, okay, I'm now – okay, I got it. And you go in for your third at-bat against him. Now, if he was working you away – if he was working you fastball and he's working you slider away, now all of a sudden what you saw last night was two-seam fastball for right-handers coming in on him. Uh, I don't know if he throws a circle change or what kind of changeup, where that was breaking down or down and into right-handed hitters. So he complete he pitched them completely opposite third time through through the lineup. So if you thought you were getting comfortable, now all of a sudden you're not comfortable. He started the game at 93, and then next thing you know, kind of the way Verlander has done it for so many years, and that is another thing that a lot of young pitchers could learn, is you don't need to come out first couple innings throwing everything you got. Scherzer came out last night 93. And as the game got going, and if there's ever – Strikeout time, a little bit of trouble, bam, I'm hitting you with 96. You don't need to come out with 96 right out of the gate because what happens as you get later in the game when you're going, this is my best fastball from the first pitch to, let's say, pitch 60 or 70. By the way, your 96 now drops down to 93. Get into that cruise control. Throw strikes. You're going to use some movement. Throw strikes. Throw strikes. Don't go max velocity out of the gate. Save it for when you need it, and boy, it's deadly. And boy, can you imagine a hitter? You got a guy that pitches you one way, and then you're, you know, if you're like coming up in the fourth, fifth, or sixth inning, and now he's compete, now he's throwing harder and pitch pitching you different than your first or second at bat. That's what pitching is, and that's what a great pitcher does.
1: You know, I was looking, and we've been kind of tracking this a lot more recently. And a good example is someone like Dalton Jeffries, who doesn't really get a third time through the order. So his numbers are kind of skewed when you look at that. Uh, when I've been looking, but this year so far, teams are hitting 200 versus Dalton Jeffries the second through t- second time through the lineup. That's really not that bad. I mean, overall this year teams are hitting 214 versus. Them.
3: So you're trying to say the panic button, f- third time through the lineup is uh, a little nuts? So
1: I mean, let let Dalton go a little longer. What do I mean? There, it's a small sample size because I think he's only had like seven at-bats the third time through the order from what I saw. Um, so 214 the second time through is what baseball reference tells me. That's pretty good. I mean, we're, you know, as in this year, teams are hitting 140 overall versus Carlos Rodon of the Giants.
3: I heard today the Pirates general manager. Ben, I, Ch- ben Charrington. I heard our own pitching coach, Scott Emerson, on this show, Ace Cast Live, And I actually heard from Gabe Kapler, and I think that was on XM, the manager of the Giants. There is talk about how big it's going to be to see your bullpen guys view themselves not as one-inning guys. So I heard that this morning on SiriusXM during the old workout, and I went, wow, we just heard that from Scott Emerson. So everybody's saying it. Now I'm not going to go through every team. I got way more going on than that. So I'm not going to go I'm I'm not going to do that. But I can tell you this. For the A's, it's happened only 3 times. 3 times. Have the A's have a, had a pitcher out of the bullpen go at
1: least 2 innings.
3: One of them was just Selman, who they sent down.
1: The other the other two, one's Oh, the A's are both surprising. One for one, sure, surprising. One better give you that. Yeah, and the one guy that that I am glad to see do it once, so far is AJ Puck. The other was Zach Jackson, I believe. Wasn't that just the other day? He just did it on Sunday. Yeah, and you know we've already used as that. The two guys
3: is exactly what you're going to have to have. Like if you're going to have, I mean, as of right now, AJ Puck is a failed starter. You can you you can start. He's 27 years old, right? Uh if not, he will be 27 this year. AJ oh. Puck is not until until AJ cuz you know, I said it on one of the A's clubhouse shows. I said
1: He'll, he actually just turned 27 yesterday.
3: Yeah. Bottom line, I'm going to be happy with AJ Puck when he hits like his 20th appearance and hasn't got on the IL. That's when I will be like, "All right, we got something here." But being a first-round pick at a college and you're you're not starting and you're 27 years old, got to call it as you see it. So, I better be getting multiple innings out of him. Jackson, kid out of Arkansas, uh, an arm that's, you know, the A's. He's a Rule 5, minor league draft Rule 5 guy. Yeah, he did it, but... We're going to need to start seeing this because just getting four or five innings out of four or five different guys out of the bullpen, long-term, is going to be rough. You're going to, you know, these guys, and it's, and and I bet if you check around baseball, and don't give me they're not prepared. Saw that today early on MLB Network with uh, on MLB Now. With our guy, Al Leiter, and the Hall of Famer, Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey goes, I went down to spring with the White Sox. He goes, day one, these pitchers were all ready to go. And Al Leiter's talking about his kid, Jack, going, you kidding me? All these kids, they all have their own rap sodos. They they're all thrown. They've been thrown to hitters by spring training. They're ready to pitch in games. They're ready. Everybody, so the the whole let's just all do the same mantra that, hey, guys, there was a lockout. These guys aren't ready. That's not true. And Gabe Kapler said that. Kudos to Gabe. I'm giving Gabe Kapler love today. Friend of the program. I was going to
1: say he's a friend of the program.
3: Gabe Kapler said he said all of our guys before they even got to camp had been throwing bullpens. They had been throwing live to hitters in BP. No excuses. Our guys have been ready to go. Now, how long are you going to let them go? Once again, it's not about pitch count. It's about where you are in the order, really, for the most part, unless you're dominant. But, you know. Kapler's like, hey, these guys, our guys have been ready to rock. And look at Rodon. Rodon's been going five plus innings.
1: Yeah, and he has a lot of strikeouts too. I think and I believe I, I did a real deep dive on him, and I'll give you one thing real quick. We've used eight we, we can say we as a team employees. We've used eighteen pitchers already I, this year. I
3: don't know if just employees can use we. Well, all right. So the it A's kind of depends
1: on what employee you are. Lower level. So the A's have used 18 pitchers this Thank year. You. The San Francisco Giants have already used 17. we played how many games? 17? What are the A's to play? Yeah, both to play 17. Uh, But Carlos Rodon. If you're
3: watching on YouTube, the amount of guys that are being used, it's just – and once again, if somebody gets pulled, let's say a guy's cruising and he gets pulled in July and he's got like 68 pitches, I'm going to be the first one to call it out. Wait a minute. Lockout was a long time ago, man. We're in July. It's going to it's going to it's going to show they're just using any excuse they can to pull guys early and not take heat for it. Cuz they they don't want to tell you, "Well, our data says this." And then everybody goes, "I don't care about your data. It's horrible for the game. It's bad for the entertainment value." So stick your data. They don't want to get into that. They're they're trying to and I understand your job as an executive, your job as a manager is to win games. That's all you care about. But we are the entertainment business. And Al Leiter said it to Brian Kinney today earlier on MLB Network. Like, BK, you love how the Gi- Giants used, what, eight pitchers yesterday?
1: Close enough, yeah. I mean, because it, it was a bullpen game for I them. I think
3: they used eight pitchers. Yeah,
1: Sammy Long started. And,
3: and he goes, do you really think that's great entertainment? And he had to admit no. And, of course, Brian didn't even watch the game. He just likes the he's sticking up for the bullpenning thing. And I got to tell you, my old head coach, Sam Perro, we did that at San Jose State. He was one of the first guys to do that where he would say, all right, it's Tuesday. You get two, you get two, you get two, you get one. I mean, we staffed it all the time on a Tuesday. That was early 90s. Uh, college baseball did that. So that's not a total stranger, but it's not exciting to watch. It's not entertaining to watch by any stretch of the imagination to constantly watch a different guy come out and you know, watch eight different guys pitch and all these warm ups and everything. You want to see the dude. You want to see the guy come out. Like Rodon tonight. If you're a Giants fan, Dalton's not there, but Dalton has thrown very well, so let's just see how that progresses. But if you're You're a guy that just signed a two-year, what, $44 million deal, somewhere around in that? Yeah, you got a big-money pitcher out there for you tonight. I want to see my guy go out there and and shove. I don't want to see eight different guys. That's that's terrible. But George Contos from NBC Bay Area, Giants pre- and post-game live, is going to join us coming up here. And what time does he join us? Do we want a break or do we want to? uh, He's
1: going to be here in like a minute or two. He's actually supposed to join via video, so we're going to have our first – Live stream video guest uh, today with George Contos, World Series champion and Giants analyst, as you mentioned for NBC Sports Bay Area. Um, I mean, he knows about being a reliever. He knows about it pretty well. Did a pretty good job at it. Yeah, he's. I, I like him on TV too. So, I mean, when I ca- occasionally catch a Giants post game when it's on, it's it's okay. You can. Well, no, I don't really watch a lot of Giants games. You so can I'm not tune good. into Giants coverage. <laughs> it's not. It's not a. You need
3: to stay informed of everything going on in baseball. That's so. what a movie network's for. Well, I I still, I, to this day, it rubs me wrong. I'll never forget, and I don't really consider this person a true A's fan. When my dad died, and we were at my dad's funeral, and we were down in San Diego, my parents were season ticket holders for the Padres. And my brother and I, to honor my dad, took all the family to a padre. And, of course, I've told this story
1: about Jack Cuss, right? Uh, I mean, I've heard a couple Jack Cuss stories, but let's – I mean, I I can enjoy – I enjoy every one. Okay, so here
3: I am, back home, dad's funeral, funeral's over. Me and my brother, we take a bunch of family to Petco Park and not to honor my father. And, of course – I get away from A's baseball for one game, one game.
1: Guess who they're playing? The A's. No. Oh, sorry. I was I was listening, but i was texting Contos to make sure he's good. They're
3: playing the Mariners.
1: Oh, that's like when I went to Seattle. <laughs> it's
3: like I can't get away from the Mariners. I just can't get away. We <laughs> see him in Japan every year. We, it's like. Face King Felix in Japan. Then you come back and you take him on. It's opening day. It's the Mariners. It's like the A's for a stretch felt like they played the Mariners like 40 times a year. But here I am, dad's funeral, going to the Padre game, all the family. I had no idea what the Padres are playing. We show up to Petco. Everybody's emotional. Everybody's been crying. And there's Jack Cuss in the Seattle Mariners. Oh, my God. You gotta be <laughs> George, can you hear us?
4: Yeah, I can hear you guys. Do you guys hear me? Yeah, there we, we, there got we got ya. him. How are you? Great to have <laughs> yeah, you on again. Fantastic. How about you? Well, Minus the th- technical difficulties.
3: We are. This is the first. We we did a soft launch, but this is our first time. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. This is this is our new A's television show. Uh, what do you think of the set? So far, looks pretty good. I can see you guys looking good with the, with all the Oakland stuff behind you. It looks
4: fantastic.
3: You know, I I always loved interleague play, and I loved it because there's some juice, not only when you're playing teams you normally don't play, but when the crosstown rivals play each other, tell us, as a player, just what it was like. You know, because whether it's Yankees, Mets, or it's White Sox, Cubbies, whatever, when you play your crosstown rival, tell us how there's just a little extra juice to the series.
4: There's, you're absolutely right. There's definitely a little extra juice. I grew up in Chicago. That's where I am yeah. right now. So the White Sox Cubs was always huge for the fans in Chicago. And then being part of the, uh, I, I still call it the, the Bay Bridge Series or the Battle of the Bay. I'm not sure what the right vernacular is uh, these days. But it, there's definitely that pride when you're playing um, against your crosstown team where everybody wants to have those bragging rights and you want to have the upper hand uh, with the fans, mostly who talk all the smack back and forth. But there's a little extra added juice when you play your cross city team
3: you know i i did actually game one of white Sox cubs at wrigley field is it the red line you take down there
4: yep it's the red there's a red line and the brown line that kind of cross over here
3: yeah because we were staying on michigan avenue so we took the red line down and and They were talking smack to each other the entire time down. My dad and I were like, wow, this is going to be good. And then you get into Wrigley Field and our buddy Sean Estes was pitching and he got rolled in that game. And the White Sox were just, (laughs) I think they scored like 14 runs. But it was like the stuff that was being said, I went, this is what interleague play is all about because those two fan bases truly don't like each other.
4: No, they don't. They don't. The way the way it works here in Chicago and and I grew up a Cubs fan, but I think everyone who who goes to the Cubs games a lot of the times is viewed as looking to go have a good time, have a couple pops in the bleachers, enjoy themselves, walk over to a to a Wrigleyville bar afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but at least at least the, the White Sox fans, they're the ones who pride themselves on knowing the game, knowing what's going on, knowing the situation. So you get a lot of that back and forth with Cubs and Sox fan of who's the better fan. But then again, the Cubs have the bragging rights because they
3: won more recently. What are your memories of A's and Giants?
4: Oh man, uh, there's 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 a bunch of them. I remember uh,
3: the the last Bay
4: Bridge series that I played in um, was at was in San Francisco, and I remember my at bat against Stephen Vogt. He always put really good at bats together. Everybody in that in that A's lineup on those teams, similarly to the Giants. They were tough outs. They were they were guys who were grinders, and they and they'd work pitch counts. They'd hit the ball the other way. And I would always remember it was just a hard fought, good, hard nosed baseball series. And I think we lost. And I might have given up a couple runs in my last appearance in that series. But it was always fun. And I did the Coaching Corps Game Changer Awards in 2017, and I I was given courtside tickets to the Warriors that day. And some of the guy, the, the, the representative for the A's uh, got the, the regular seats. And I saw Stephen vote again, and he came. He came down, and he goes, "Man, the Giants always getting the good perks all around the bay." So it's always funny. It's friendly banter, uh, but it, it's all in good fun, you know. Off the field, everyone is is fantastic, and guys are buddies. But on the field, there's there's a there's a pride there. Guys want to get get the best of uh, of the other side of the bay.
3: Yeah, there is something to it. Like even like people would go, ah, the Freeway Series, Dodgers, Angels. There is something about no matter what the records are. There just is something about you know the fan bases are fired up. There's just there's just something different about it.
4: There is, there is. There's there's always whenever you're playing a team from the same uh, from the same city and the fans cross over. I mean, even walking down last year, I covered the uh, the series as well when I was in studio covering it uh, as an analyst. And you're walking down the street, and and myself and, and Stewie uh, were walking down, and there are Giants fans talking smack to smoke. And there are ace fans talking. Bad to idea, me, by the way. Of some of these bars.
3: Bad idea talking smack to him.
4: <laughs> oh yeah,
3: he can <laughs> he can get he can get feisty quick. People people still forget the man's a black belt.
4: Oh yeah, don't oh, yeah. forget. <laughs> and he's got the nicest, most calm personality until it's not.
3: You know, being a guy that's thrown a lot of innings, obviously a world champion, he pitching some real big games. The way baseball and bullpens have evolved. How do you feel about the way the game's going right now where we're going to set another record this year or we're on pace to where bullpens will eat up more innings than ever before and they're pitching more innings than starters? So I think
4: in the beginning of this, it, let's kind of be fair and say that spring training was a little shortened this year with the CBA and, and everything kind of getting rushed. There was only three weeks' worth of games. Um And the starters haven't built up their innings, which is why you have the extra roster spot, which the majority of those are going to pitchers. Um, But I think for me, at least, I've always been a guy that has been a use your eyes on that day and let the numbers and the analytics kind of complement what you're seeing on the mound. You know, We saw firsthand kind of how analytics didn't work, in my opinion, in the Tampa Bay Dodger World Series when uh, Blake Snell came out of the game and Nick Anderson came running in and Mookie Betts Blatantly said, he goes. The momentum changed. I think that the numbers are very, very valuable, but I also think that third time through the lineup is also one of those big kind of keys where managers are starting to be like, "All right, let's get it. Let's get somebody else in. See a different arm." Um, so I think that the game has evolved in the way that you're not going to see as much turnover from the staffs, which is why guys are throwing a lot more innings out of the bullpen. Is it
3: is it sustainable? That's my big question.
4: I think it it is sustainable as long as they have the amount of arms they can keep kind of churning through. You know, we're going to see more, like you mentioned, we're going to see more relievers, like the number of relievers and more more innings pitched out of relievers this year than we did last year and the year before. So I think as long as this style of baseball is what's going to be played, then we're going to see more and more relievers.
3: Yeah, we're going to get to a point. I know GMs are fighting for it. It took them forever, and we talked to David Force, our general manager, it took forever for them to get 26 guys on the roster. They were able to get 28 this year. It's going back. But I could see GMs going, we need like 30 guys on the roster. We need more arms. <laughs> and I don't know if it's good for baseball because I think – I, to me, that's their answer. Their answer to – instead of telling pitchers and trying to get pitchers to throw more, I think their answer is more roster spots, more relievers. <laughs>
4: I also think it's a little bit of a cost, you know, cost basis as well, because what, what we've seen is we, we're still going to see those top end relievers, those back end guys are still going to continue to get paid. And with the amount of turnover that you're going to have, you're not going to necessarily, as time moves on, have those middle guys or, you know, seventh inning guys are not going to be making as much as well. So it all it, it's also incentivizing less and less guys to be getting those deals so you can have more guys on the roster to turn through.
3: You know, when we got to interview Gabe Kapler down at the winter meetings in 2019, yes, the last time we had a winter Meetings was 2019, sad. Uh, really liked the guy. And I used to, on my old talk show, I used to have Gabe Kapler on all the time when he was with Fox Sports. So I always liked him, right? Bright guy. He was a very good interview. And then it just it didn't work out in Philly. I don't know if he got a bad rap. I don't know what it is. But obviously in San Francisco – He's showing you the ability to trust in a large staff, to allow his staff to do their work, to have a lot of flexibility with the roster. Obviously, all the pinch hit home runs last year, the way he utilizes the bullpen. I mean, guys, I mean, look at Jock Peterson. I I saw this today. Jock Peterson is the first guy (laughs) to have this many home runs in 14 games since Willie McCovey and Jared Parker, for God's sakes. I mean, when you're on the same list as Willie McCovey, just talk about how... Uh, Gabe Kapler really has turned out to be a great fit in San Francisco.
4: First of all, the the fact that Gabe was able to come in and have such a warm reception from everybody after following a guy like Bruce Bochy is really a a kudos to him because Bochy is obviously a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, a guy who I played under and learned the game under. Uh, So for him to come in and have the the success and have the likability that he has is really impressive and and it's a kudos to him of uh, coming in and just earning the trust of the players, I think. That's that's what it is. You see that this is a clubhouse of guys who all mesh together. Everyone's very positive. Everyone likes each other. They have the same type of chemistry and camaraderie, it seems like, the teams that I was on, the 12, the 14 teams, the teams that we had that won. And obviously, this team did something that none of those teams has done, which in winning 107 games last year, and I think that's a kudos to not only Gabe Kaplan who's done a fantastic job of managing the personalities but also Farhan and and everybody on the on the front office side and the players for buying into such a drastic regime change and having the success that they're having as quickly as they have.
3: Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, when you want to talk about going from Brian Sabian and <laughs> Bruce Bochi, not the biggest of analytics to now all in analytics. I mean, Farhan Grew up with us in the A's, and he's Billy Bean's best buddy, and this is where he learned it. And then Kapler, they're all in. But if you look at it, 119 wins uh, since the start of last year, the most in baseball. Just how important is it for the entire roster to get utilized, the entire roster to get at bats, all the guys get their innings, and just for everybody to feel like everybody's rowing in the same direction, everybody's pulling on the same rope. How important is it to utilize the entire roster, especially early in a season?
4: Well, it's huge, obviously. And what I what I really like to see is is how they've been managing to get guys in more often too. I know that they they've been starting off with with different lineups and kind of playing the uh, the 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 um, the lineup changes versus righties, lefties, and and all that, but. I like that he's been using a lot more of the same lineup to get guys consistent. And then later in the games, when you have those pitching changes, all the guys are getting at bats and the same thing with the arms. He's been able to do a good job of getting all the guys in the games, even with the extended rosters and the giants pitching staff overall has been fantastic. But the, um, the um, starters have done a a fantastic job of churning through innings and and letting everybody kind of fall in line with their
5: roles.
3: Yeah, things just dramatically change. We've done it over the years that when your starters give you innings, not only does your winning percentage go up, the starter has a better chance to get the win. I mean, at one point, like if an A starter, I was like two years, about two or three years ago. I don't want to count the COVID year. It was almost like there was only one loss by an A starter if he actually went seven innings or more. There was just something different about a team and – Speak to this when your starter can go deep into a game.
1: Uh,
4: when your starter can go deep in the, into the game, not only does it pay dividends early, but it pays dividends late as well. And I think that's – the A's and the Giants are, are similar in that regard as we, we've always been – have been proud of having great starting pitcher. When you can have a starting pitcher early in the season, not come, be coming out of games in the third or fourth inning, when they can go six, seven innings right out of the gate, you're A going to save the bullets of the relievers so their workload early – can be at least kind of held and managed. But also that's going to pay dividends in September when these guys aren't going on 75, 80 appearances to end the season and then have to churn for potentially another month in the postseason. So I think the the ability for these guys to come out and be hungry and go six, seven innings, even with the extended bullpen, you're letting guys get into really good rhythms and you're saving the bullpen because those innings later on down the road, it's a lot better when you're pitching in September not running on fumes.
3: How important do you think it's going to be going forward in the minor leagues to start getting your relievers to say, all right, tonight, let's just say it's it's A-ball down here, right? It's San Jose against Stockton. Tonight, you're going two innings. You've got to get used to you're not a one-inning guy anymore because I think that's kind of where we're going. We need to start training relievers so we can get all these innings. I mean, it's a lot of outs, 27 outs every night. And there's a lot of innings that you, you got to go. How important, take back to when, when you were when you were pitching, just how important is it going to be to start training people that the one inning is not the deal anymore? You're coming in. Be prepared to go at least two. So
4: I, I think that it's a very good question. And, and I think the I, I, when I was traded from San Francisco to um, – the pirates in 2017. I was a, it was a August revocable waiver trade. I think one of the stats that I left with as I was being interviewed was, that was I had the most multi inning appearances in a, in the, in the, I think giants history or in the last 20 years, be proud I,
3: of that, my friend Be proud.
4: Was, and it was, be, it was because I, I think I was a former starter and I've always had that ability to, to, to go deeper into the games when I was a starter. But, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword it's obviously great for the team when a reliever can go multiple innings the only thing that that run you run into the little bit of the wear and tear problem is most managers run run the hot hand you always kind of (laughs) whoever's been pitching well they're going to keep going and pitching pitching out there until you know they they say they need a break which most guys don't do that or until their stuff starts to not be as crisp because of fatigue and i think that relievers are pro are a proud bunch we want to take the ball every single day. We want to not let the team down, and I think there's a a huge, huge pro, like positive in in the staff being able to manage the outings because no pitcher is ever going to be like, no, I can't go today because you don't want to let the team down. But I think that the ability to go multiple innings, you know, for me, for example, I I would go. I went one game. It was it was in Houston. I went two and two thirds through like forty something pitches. Boach was like the next day how you feeling I'm like I'm good I can give you one I pitched the next day how you doing the next day I'm like I'm good I can give you an out and I pitched the next day but if he would have kept asking me I just said I'm good to go but they they were starting to take care of us and and not wanting anybody to get hurt um but overall I think the ability to go multiple innings deeper into your bullpen gives you so many more options
3: now I've been thinking this and and you'll know better than me but if you don't Blow a guy out. He's now becoming. We we always talked about the bridge guy to the closer, right? The setup guy to the closer. But really, we've got some really important innings. And sometimes now it's even in the fifth, taking these guys out early. Fifth, sixth, seventh. If you are somebody that can give me such crucial innings in these important six seven type innings. It's kind of becoming a money role to me. If you, It really increases your value. Bob Melvin would always say one of the reasons why he had a great relationship with his players is that Bob Melvin put his players in positions to succeed, which then would help them make more money. And he would tell them, I'm going to help you make more money. And if someone's going to help you make more money, you're going to like that guy and you're going to listen to that guy, right? So. I got a feeling that as as we start to see the usage of bullpens go up, there's gonna the, the the value of a guy that comes in earlier in the game. Don't you think, money wise, value wise, he's gonna be worth more?
4: So yeah, the answer is yes, and I and I think that what you just described describes it like a Dan Otero for the yeah. for Oakland for a while, and then I think that describes me pretty pretty closely for the Giants for the majority of my years there. I would come in after Kaner or Bum or whatever come in in the fifth or the sixth, and then take it through the sixth or through the seventh and get the ball to Jeremy Affelt and Javi and Casilla and Romo. Uh, so I, I know that role very, very well, and I think that it, it is a very important role until you get too expensive. And then it's not justifiable <laughs> to pay somebody if that you're in that same role still. So I, I agree. I think championship teams and teams that go deep into the postseason and have great seasons, like the Dodgers and our team's, uh, and Oakland early when they were very, very good in in, in 12. And um, in those years, I think that you need that guy. You need that bridge guy that you trust. And and Boach, just to go back to him, because I'm very familiar with him, when the situation would come up, the phone would ring. He wouldn't even – Guardy wouldn't even have to say the names. I was already up and basically throwing my first warm-up pitch in the sixth inning with two guys on and two outs because I knew it was going to be me that was that was called. And the reason why – you know, I think I had success in that role. Dan Otero had success in that role because you had the confidence of knowing that when the phone rang, that was your role. That was your situation. So you were mentally prepared to go. And you bridged the gap to those later-inning guys. And I think good teams, teams that
3: have a lot of success and win, have that guy.
4: Or multiple.
3: Yeah, I mean, guys like you are valuable. It's real. And I think you're becoming more. In the next couple of years, I think your value is even – I don't know. Maybe uh, we can put you in a time machine and bring you back. You're going to be even more valuable. Let's end on this. You know, I was at the gym the other day, and the Giants game was over, and the channel was still on NBC Sports Bay Area, where you're a part of Giants (laughs) pre- and post-game live. They were doing a replay of remembering the 2012 team and saw you on there and just – it's been a few years, right? It's 10 years. Just when you, when you think back, I don't know if you guys are doing a celebration this year or not, but, uh, when you think back 10 years, what, what do you remember?
4: Oh man, you know, so yeah, this is a 10 year, 10 year reunion anniversary. Uh, I think there's going to be a celebration in August, I believe, but uh, a good story is after we won the world series there, we, we, we beat Detroit, and we came back, and I was always a guy that would get to the field early because I, I was not married, um, I don't don't have kids, and, and I had nothing really to do, so I would get to everything <laughs> early, get to the ballpark <laughs> early to just you know work out a little bit or do some core, even for the World Series parade. I got there early because I had nowhere else to be. So I get there, and I'm in the training room, and Boach comes in, and he and I are chatting just about how the series went and everything and this and that, and he goes to me, he goes, George, at some point, You're going to reflect, and and it might not be this offseason before you get ready for spring training. It may not be next year. It may not be two years from now. But at some point, you're going to look back and think of how special it was what we've accomplished here. And that 2012 team, we faced a ton of adversity. You know, we we fell down 0-2 against Cincinnati in the DS. We fell behind 3-1 to St. Louis in the championship series. And overcoming those back against the wall, winning six straight elimination games, we come out after Detroit had spent seven days in Lakeland playing inter-squad games, and we just kind of waxed the floor with them a little bit, which nobody saw coming. Um, but he goes, "You're gonna, th- you're gonna think at some point in time what, how special this was, and what this meant to you." And it was after I decided to hang them up. So right before the 2020, the world stopped. And baseball, for me, I had hung them up, and I just was reflecting on everything. And you think how special it is to, A, just be a part of one World Series. To be a part of two, is just icing on the cake, obviously. Um, but just how special and what went into winning those championships and, and those games and the camaraderie and the friendships and the teammate bonds that you'll never, ever forget. And we've done something so special together. And um, it's going to be great to see all those guys, I'm sure, when – we have the reunion. It, uh, it will be like, we're right back in 2012 doing it when we were doing it, but it's, it's, it's really kind of special to reflect and think about, you know, being able to win. That was my rookie year with the Giants. So that, yeah. that was winning a world series. My first year after being traded from the Yankees going all the way. I remember looking at Javi as we were, we were about to hop the fence in Detroit and being like, Holy crap, is this actually going to happen right now? So it's all super special memories that that'll never be forgotten. And, um, It'll be great to see all those guys when we get that reunion back together.
3: I mean, you were winning so much early; it had to be like, man, we we just win the World Series every year. That's what we do. <laughs> it was, I, you know, I literally, I, I I asked somebody, we were popping champagne. I was like, what's next? And they're just like, we're going to do this every year. And I was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing that uh, we had done before, you know, years past couple of years before COVID was, you know, honoring the A's team that won three straight World Series in 72, 73, 74. And, And you think about how old these guys were and to honor them was just amazing. And that's kind of one of the things that we've lost during COVID is we haven't been honoring anybody. We haven't been seeing anybody. So that's why I wanted to make sure you guys were doing that because it is so special for you guys to get together for these milestones. You know, while you guys can still really enjoy it, it's just sad that all these other franchises past couple of years haven't been allowed to do it.
4: I, I agree, and, and I think that this year is going to be a, a special one. Because if I'm not wrong, I think the 2010 team is also being um, oh, honored wow. and, and celebrated this year. Because 2020, obviously, no fans. Last year was a little bit different as well. Uh, so I think this year they're going to get a 10 reunion and a 12 reunion. And, and you know, luckily for us and, and the timing, we were all Giants. They get one in 2024 as well. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to get everybody back and, and and amongst each other and I think ultimately for us player former players and guys who are a part of that team it's gonna be wonderful but for the fans to, to see everybody again um you know I know you guys think the A's fans are the best in the world us Giants fans <laughs> think the Giants fans are the best in the world so they get to uh they get to experience a, a bunch of uh, guys coming back and some fun memories this year
3: is there any franchise that says yeah I don't think our fans are that great
4: Ah, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to actually – I've been to
3: Tampa Bay. Not that they're not great fans, but there's yeah. never anybody at that game
4: in, in St. Pete.
3: Hey, well, let me tell you something. You're really good on TV. You're good to uh, watch. You. Yeah, you, you've made a very you – you've done a very good job making that transition because, you know, obviously they want – they want a new generation of Giants broadcasters, and they want the guys that won rings. I mean, Larry Bear is not stupid. I I want to put I want to put the good looking faces with the rings on the broadcast. And uh, you've done a very good job with the transition. You've you've been you've been uh, really nice to watch. So continued success, and we'll talk to you down the road. And thank you for popping on on video. You're actually the first guest of this, so we appreciate
4: oh, well, it. I'm I'm glad to uh to break the seal and to get it started. And thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, I love to. First and foremost, I love to still be around the game and to talk about it and to give opinions. And um, obviously, leaving San Francisco as a player was probably the hardest thing I had to do throughout my career. So being able to come back and and uh, be affiliated and and chat about black and black and orange and and the Giants is something that I that I love very much. So the the fact that I'm around still is it was a great transition. But I appreciate it. Thank you, and 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 hope that the show continues to go well.
3: All right, be well. Take care. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Is Melissa with us right now? Can we see her? There she is. How are you? Great to see you.
0: Great to see you too. Yeah. How are you doing?
3: This is the new, this is the new gig we got. Wrong. What I do you know, think? It's fancy. Yeah, we're trying to take we're trying to take the A's into 2022 from a media standpoint. Outstanding. So, how are you? How is everything with the A's minor leagues?
0: It's good. It's busy. You know, it. it, it after last season was like kind of dipping your toe back in and now we're full rush back into a full, you know, 140 game season. And uh, it's been exciting so far. Those first three weeks.
3: Yeah. I mean the whole thing, I feel so bad for these guys. I know we've talked about it in the past. I mean, some guys absolutely lost a season in 2020, 2021. Wasn't uh, the same. Hopefully there was some type of normalcy this year, You know, very tough time to be a guy trying to move up in an organization, especially if you weren't a bonus baby.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it was really incumbent upon those guys to decide, you know, how they were going to handle. Um, that season that didn't happen you know some guys went home and had access to uh, workout facilities and places to play and were able to kind of keep themselves in shape and others didn't have that or or weren't able to 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 get it as regularly so you saw a big disparity last year I think hopefully this year things are a little bit more on an even footing um, and you know players can kind of make up a little bit what, what was lost.
3: All right, for you as someone who's watching every game, watching all the box scores, paying attention to the draft, the movement through throughout the organization, guys that leave, guys that come in, a lot of different ways. When someone like a Nick Allen gets called up and is given a shot to play, how do you feel about
0: that? I love it. I, I think, honestly, there's nothing in professional sports like a Major League Baseball debut. You know, there's you can have your first moment in the NBA or the NFL, but there's just something so individual about throwing your first pitch, taking your first swing, uh, getting out there on the field for the first time. And, you know, the amount of work that goes into each one of those stories is incredible, um, and for someone like Nick, where you've just been waiting for that for so long because everything you've heard about him as a player, as a teammate, um, as a defensive player all throughout, um, you know, just kind of builds up that anticipation. So uh, it's fun, you know, and and I think um, I remember last year, I think it was Bobby Crosby who said, you know, Nick might struggle for a week or two at his new level like he does at most levels. And then when he hits his stride, he'll never look back. So I think we're going to see a lot even better of Nick Allen moving forward, but it's been great to see what we've seen so far.
3: And that's, what's so interesting. So we can hear from Ed Sprague. We can hear from David force. We can hear from Mark Kotze, but when they're giving answers, their answers, obviously there's things around that there's the business of baseball. When they're giving those answers, you, you don't have to give us the business answers. You can just give us the straight answer. Is there anything left for him to do in the minor leagues?
0: No, I mean, you know, there's always something you can work on in the sense of you know, he really doesn't have a ton of upper level at bats. But when you think about baseball instincts, when you think about, you know, him playing defense at a high level, which is often the last thing that comes for players, um, he really knows his own approach at the plate now. I think he just needs at bats somewhere. So if, you know, if it makes sense to have him in the big leagues with the A's, I think he's ready to do that. And again, like, you know, if they're not expected to win the pennant, um, living through a couple of weeks of struggles at the beginning of a big league career is a lot easier to stomach than say, you know, it might've been last season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're going to shuffle everything around when Kevin Smith comes back. And obviously we wanted him to have a lot of at-bats too, but um, I don't necessarily see anything in AAA that he really needs to do.
3: What are the interesting stories or players you're you're really paying attention to here at the early part of this year down the minor leagues?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think that double-A Midland squad is really fun. Um, Zach Zach Geloff was the second-round pick last year and has just been, you know, nonstop amazing player. Yeah, I mean, he's 14 14 straight hit uh, games with hits to start the season, and if he goes one for four, you're disappointed. You know, I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing when you think about, like, uh, a guy jumps from college to double-A essentially, you know, with just a few games last year. And he's doing this um, as a hitting streak right away. Great athlete, hustles right out of the box. Every time he hits the ball, he had a double the other day that probably went, you know, like 10 feet past the shortstop. You know, it's solid second baseman, third baseman. He's going to be a really dynamic player. So he's a lot of fun. And then that pitching staff, you know, they added Ryan Kusick, They added JT Ginn. They had Colin Pellius already set to go there, who had had a really great year last season. A lot of high-octane fastballs, um, breaking balls that really break in impressive ways. Um, So it's a lot of fun. And then there's some guys that have gone back to that level, like Logan Davidson, who are off to good starts. And I think you like to see that uh, as well. Um, And then, you know, down in Stockton, Max Muncie is off to a terrific start, you know, for a 19-year-old in an advanced league. Um, He's already got four home runs. He's hit, he hit one the other day. It was a 99 mile per hour fastball up and he took it out to right field, which is pretty impressive for a 19 year old kid that they were basically like, dude, you're not a a power hitter yet. You can wait till a little later in your career to get there. So that he's doing that already is pretty incredible. And then I think we're going to hear a lot about Denzel Clark, who's an outfielder in uh, Stockton right now, although I imagine he'll be up in Lansing not too long, but um, you know, guy that played at Cal state Northridge, he's from Canada, originally is you know his mom was a canadian uh sprinter in the olympics unbelievable athlete big power potential um runs well for a guy who basically could play middle linebacker in the nfl um so it's, there, there's definitely some really fun stories going on
3: you know i think about your uh, you know your Muncie story and it just goes to show you when we see players come up and they're not freaked out by 98 99 you trying to explain it's like You know, there was a time when we started seeing the velocity go up and it was like, wow. But now this generation of players, they're seeing it at such a young age that they're not freaked out about seeing this high velocity. As much as the pitchers have adapted and learned how to throw harder, the hitters, wouldn't you say, they've adapted at the same time. And as pitchers have grown, so have the hitters.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they can train off of high velocity, uh, you know, machines like pitching machines now that you didn't used to have that before. So you almost needed to have a guy who threw 98 for you to be able to face somebody who had thrown 98. You know, now they've got a gun, you know, the uh, pitching machine that can get that to you. You know, they've got VR where you can basically take at-bats off Max Scherzer, you know, and, and uh, have seen that with your eyes. And I think once that reaction it becomes kind of ingrained in your, uh, you know, your muscle memory, it's not the same as facing Max Scherzer in real life, but it's as close as you could have ever gotten before, uh, you know, in, in the way that, that baseball players develop now. So um, there is a lot that, that players can do to uh, adjust to the fact that pitchers are as good as they've ever been right now.
3: You know, when I think about those hot, you know, high velocity. Back in the day, we had the jugs machines, right? Mm-hmm. It was the two wheels, and we would put the dimpled uh, ball and the rubber ball in, and the and, and both both different wheels. You could you could. I'm doing it because now people can see us, so I can explain <laughs> it. You could actually make them spin at different at different speeds, so you could get it to throw a breaking ball. At. But problem was when you would get those things up super super high and try and throw as hard. Ball got a little squirrely, yeah. <laughs> and you didn't want to be a hitter in there because if you got the jugs machine up over, let's say, 93, 94, you're getting it there at your own risk because those balls, those balls were all beat up anyway. That was scary. So, you know, technology as much. We talk so much about Soto and everything and all the different high-tech cameras for pitchers. It's good that the hitters have better technology and better equipment now to, to keep up with what we've given to all the pitchers.
0: Absolutely. You don't want batting practice to look like a Cardinals Mets series. So, you know.
3: <laughs> Shots fired. I like it. Um when when you start thinking about the A's from a standpoint of guys that are gonna be able to help, we know younger guys. I think Geloff, we saw Geloff in San Jose last year when he came into town and you looked at him and you went, Oh yeah, that guy looks like a third baseman. He's the full package. But once again, we deal with the business of baseball and service time and all that kind of stuff. Who do you think are the closest guys that the fans could know that could help this ball club as soon as possible?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, another guy I should have mentioned earlier is how well Shea Langoliers has yep. done so far for Las Vegas. I mean, you know, he's catching well, he's throwing well. I think the last time I looked, he'd thrown out six of the 10 base runners who attempted to steal on him. And, you know, that's that's tough to do in the in an environment where pitchers are more focused on, you know, trying to get swings and misses than holding runners. So, um, you know, he's been the real deal behind the plate and then, uh, you know, at the plate he's looked as good or better than you would have expected. And, you know, obviously that's a league that's geared towards hitters, but um, I think it's worth keeping an eye on again. You know, there's obviously Sean Murphy's, I think, probably the A's best player right now. And so you're not necessarily looking to have someone come up and take playing time away from Murphy. But, um, you know, I think at some point this year, we'll get a chance to see a little bit of Shea Langoliers and see what he can do at the big league level. Um, and, you know, I think like the, it'll be interesting to see how they shuffle the double A guys. I mean, they basically you've seen the entire AAA Las Vegas <laughs> roster up in Oakland in the last week and a half, it seems like. I mean, it's it's been pretty incredible. Um, you know, Cody Thomas, I think when he comes back from his Achilles injury and uh, is is able to be playing again, is hopefully someone that you'll get a chance to see, because I think he could really um, add to the dynamics of, of the A's outfield if he's healthy. Um, but some of the guys at double a, you know, it, assuming that, that you don't necessarily see Christian Lopes and people like that kind of staying at, at aaa triple a all year, um, you know, you could start to see Max Schumann moving up uh, and he had gotten a taste of triple a last he's year, been hot. Up, you know, this is a guy who's, you know, 50 stolen bases last year. Um, he's hitting for a little more power already this year. Um, not, you know, not a Maybe a star in in projection, but like a really interesting, solid player. Um, you've seen, you know, Mickey McDonald, and I don't. We haven't got a chance to see all that he can do yet. But really fantastic defensive player, gets on base, runs the bases really well. Um, so there's some role players I think that you uh, can, might see this year, and then the real stars, you know, that are like the Cougs and the Gins and. The Peluse and Geloff, and you know maybe Logan Davidson and and, and Jeremy Ironman are, are guys that you you might start to see um, maybe at the beginning of next season.
3: So Cody is handing me his phone, and you did an article on Mickey. So his oh, so his dad played with Barry Bonds.
0: Yeah, this was this was a fun a fun article. Yeah, so his, his they dad had a lot
3: of good there. players at it because uh, Greg Jeffries
0: wasn't he didn't he go there? Tom Brady obviously. Yeah, so it, it's actually funny because uh, uh, Ray McDonald, Mickey's dad, uh, texted me a photo earlier today of Mickey with Greg Jeffries t- talking about switch hitting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, back when he was in high school. But I mean, it's an incredible story. So, yeah, his dad played all four years with Barry Bonds. So Mickey had a chance to know Barry growing up. He was a, a ball boy at uh, Pack Bell Park as a visiting uh uh, ball boy back. And when he was a kid, when Albert Pujols was there, so he took hitting tips from Albert Pujols. Awesome. Um, and then Tom Brady was one of the players that sent him a congratulations when he got called up, you know, cause his, his uh, Tom's sister, Maureen is, uh, was an all American pitcher at uh, Fresno state and uh, Ray Mickey's dad runs a, a softball Academy in, in San Mateo. So um, crazy connections, but just, I mean, one of those people when it you know, it was sort of like when Seth Brown got the call you know, you could just hear everybody in the organization's just thrilled, right? Because here's a guy that really had to earn it. You know, nothing was going to be handed to him. Um, 18th round pick in 2017, you know, did not have the best year in 2019. So had to go home in 2020 and basically remake his body and came out with the best season he's had. And really, like, people were talking all throughout the we're going to call it Pacific Coast League now. I'm never going back to that AAA West, But, <laughs> um, but you know, people were talking about like, who is this Mickey McDonald? Where did he come from and, and how is he this good when he was playing last year? Um, and he, he did that himself. And I think that's really awesome. And it, it was just such a great thing for him to be home for five days at the Coliseum for his whole family and all of his, you know, teachers and middle school friends and all that to be able to come see him. And then to have this series in San Francisco also, um, I think it's just a fantastic way for someone to start their big league career.
3: You know, you mentioned Sean Murphy and I look at Sean and I got asked about it last night and I know this off season for him was about making better contact and right now, five for his last twenty-six. A lot of strikeouts. Um, last seven games haven't gone well. Had a great spring. Hasn't necessarily translated. He had a run there for a little bit on the road trip, but he's twenty-seven now. He's not. It's not twenty-three. It's not twenty-four. He's twenty-seven. This is in into your prime of your career and you mentioned and you mentioned Langeliers coming over from the Braves down in AAA I just how big of a year is this for Sean Murphy and kind of like for him where he's going to be as a professional
0: Yeah I mean I think I think every year is a big year I you know I think the thing with Sean is that he's already one of the top, if not the top defensive catcher, you know, in, in, in the American league, like he's, he's going to make a run for gold glove every year. Um, So you have that already and that's a special player by itself, just given the position. And then you add in the power and you add in the RBIs, which I think even when he's struggling is, is always something that can be there for him. Um, And if he's a little bit streaky, I think you can live with that because I think the end run will be a guy that maybe doesn't hit for average, but will hit for power. will drive in runs will eventually get those walks going again. I mean, to be fair to him, he hasn't had any protection in the lineup for that entire five or six, like every single time he's come up, there there's no reason for the pitchers to be focused on anyone else but him and getting him out. Um, so it's not like you know he's got somebody behind him that that they're kind of gonna gonna challenge him so that so they can put you around him. And I'm sure he's pressing a little bit because he knows he's probably the biggest bat in that lineup. So um, I think you know we'll we'll see better results from him. I think what you saw in that little stretch, um, you know, in Tampa. Um, you know, that, 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 that is the Sean Murphy that we'll probably see a lot more of as the season goes on, but, um, whether he stays with the A's or whether, because they have Langoliers, they, you know, they make a deal with a team that, you know, could, could use catching, you know, that that I think we'll never know until that happens because, um, that's always sort of a moving target, but I think he's well positioned to be one of the top catchers in in baseball for a long time.
3: Hoping and and hope that back gets rolling because obviously with the A's offense right now, not hitting with runners in scoring position, getting guys back from the COVID list. I know you've been a Chad Pender fan for a long time. He's back. That's good to see. And I've wondered in my little world, wondering out loud, would it just be great to see Chad Pender, even though he's now shown he can be an outfielder and that Statcast loves him as an outfielder and you know, all these different things that he can do, just maybe one time to say, hey, you know what, Chad, you're playing second base, you're playing every day, go get him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the greatest mystery I've found from this season so far, and I I have not dug into any analytical data, so there's obviously going to be smarter people than me that can answer this, but, you know, they've really struggled to turn double plays. I mean, I don't know how many balls have gone to the second baseman or the shortstop so far this year that you think, okay, that's going to be a double play, and then it's just a force out, and that's caused a lot of extra outs um, that pitchers have had to get so far. Um, so th- I don't think they've found their answer at second base um, in any respect. I mean, you know, Nick Nick Allen's played some there, but I think ultimately you, you want him on the other side of the base on a regular basis. And um, it is fun of a player as Tony Kemp is, and as much as I think he needs a regular role somewhere, it, it doesn't seem like defensively that's necessarily the answer right now. I mean, you know, who knows? It could just be a slow start to the season for him defensively as well. But um, they do need to figure out figure out an arm strength issue that's going on there. I think at second base and Chad definitely has a strong arm. So, um, you know, maybe he could be, but I, I think there's got to be some sense of urgency to try to figure out why they're not getting as many results on those ground balls, um, and turning them into double plays as they should be.
3: Great stuff. As always, we'll be reading you in the athletic. And uh, I said it last night on the ACE clubhouse show. Uh, we're going to be calling you a lot because the minor leagues is more important than ever before.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This is fun. Keep up the great work. All right. Thank you.
3: And let's bring on somebody who is a true baseball historian. He's a San Francisco radio hall of famer. You remember all the years he was around A's baseball all the years now around Giants baseball, but I I don't like to label Marty with one team. Because I think of all the respect that he has from everybody in the game. If you don't know it, you know, we talk about Ray Fossey and his great library of guests. Same thing with Marty Lurie. Marty has interviewed everybody, both leagues, has the respect of everybody. And I don't think anybody knows more about minor league baseball than the great Marty Lurie. The Hall of Famer is with (laughs) us now. Marty, how are you, buddy? Good, Chris. It's a
5: pleasure to be with you. How are you?
3: I'm good. Can you believe it? All these things to talk about in our great game, and we're still talking about the equipment. Have they always done this in baseball history?
5: Yeah, they have. You know, it's funny. I was uh, at a game today, uh, the Dodger game with Arizona, and a lot of, you know, Bob Nightingale was there, and Barry Bloom and all these different, you know, national writers. And the topic of conversation was the baseball. You know, and they, they've used so many different levels of baseballs. They're mixing them all up now. And Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, said the other day, he's not sure what baseball you get at what point in the game. And that's what's going on. Have they always done it? They've always monkeyed around with the baseball. We know that. It goes back to the very beginning, 1920, when they tightened it up and started the home run era. They've been monkeying with the baseball ever since then.
3: Well, that's why we love to bring you on. And I I talked about you last night in the A's Clubhouse show going, you know, a lot of people will get into analytics and they're on fan graphs and they're on baseball reference and baseball savant and all these different sites. I'm like, Marty Lurie has read more books about the history of this game. It is unbelievable. And that's why I love having you on because we can talk about what's going on today, but also so much about the game's history. And it's just – I just think about the other sports, Marty. If you're talking about a football, a puck, a golf ball, or whatever, a basketball, these other, I mean, other than when Tom Brady obviously deflating the balls, but for the most part, you're not hearing hockey players going, hey, in the third third period, I have no idea what puck we're using.
5: (laughs) It's funny. It's the truth. Uh, That's the way baseball works. And the people who run the game have always tried to figure out how can we get more offense in the game? Then they got so much offense in the game. Now they said, well, let's take some of the offense out of the game. And Chris, you watch these games now. 1-1 today, uh, Arizona and the Dodgers before the Dodgers made a couple of errors in the eighth inning to turn that game around. Urias gave up one hit today. Uh, Zach Gallen was terrific. Look at all these games that we have. And there are very few blowouts. Things are, uh, are different. And baseball doesn't know what to do. They have no idea what the fans want to see. More home runs, less home runs. Runs have always been the key. And if this goes on like this with runs down, home runs down, and everything else, you'll see a change in the ball again.
3: You know, I'm not a math major, Marty, but I do think if you score more runs than the other team, you're going to be in good shape. No matter how many you score, you want to
5: get one more (laughs) than the other team. And that's the idea of the game. You know, the game is, you know, it's so different. I mean, the starting pitcher, you know, five or six innings, and then here comes the parade of bullpen guys, all of them throwing 97, 98. And that's why the batting averages are down. Look at, you know, you look at the Giants and this great record they're off to. Uh, Their offense is very pedestrian. Yes, they have a couple of hot players now. Ah, uh, Peterson is hot. Flores is hot, and that's the way they play. Uh, but the the games are very interesting offensively. The pitching has dominated to such a degree that
3: baseball is concerned about it. Yeah, and, and and just to add to that, we have taken away whether it's the sunscreen in the rosin. We've taken away spider tack. We have no idea what baseball, what inning, and. Uh, and still, pitching is dominating. That's like, I mean, how how could anybody have the answer? I mean, I mean, if you gave Spider Tack it, they'd even be more dominant. Right now, we're looking at the lowest average ever, the lowest hits per game average, uh, mm-hmm. lowest hits per game ever. We're looking at home runs are way down. And, Marty, we talked about the three true outcomes in baseball, home runs, strikeout, and walks. Now it's just the two outcomes of baseball, walks and strikeouts, and neither one has anything to do with putting the ball in play.
5: Yeah, well, you know, Chris, it's April, and keep that in mind. Uh, you know, we've got a few more days here till May, and you really need a sample size of a season to see what's going on. Before panic? Yeah, <laughs> but where we're going now – you know, we got a good idea of of something that we really haven't seen before, and that is that runs are down. And, you know, look at Las Vegas. You know, usually the run total is eight, eight and a half. Now it's seven and a half and seven. And they're on this more than anybody in the world. Yeah. And the runs are down. There's no question about it.
3: All right, let's get into some positive stuff, because in the end we love this game. And the reason why we criticize is because we're trying to make the game more entertaining, to make more people love our game, make more people involved in it. So we're just trying to give opinions and help out. But let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about the A's. Nine and nine. Marty, we saw you down at spring training. We were all kind of shaking our heads going, Ugh. I you know as of right now, I mean the numbers aren't great, but nine and nine. Wouldn't you say, as an A's fan, for what you thought it was going to be, 99, not so bad?
5: Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Uh, You know, we talked about The captain and Vince and you and me uh, talked about it down there, about that first road trip, what could have happened, you know, going into Philly, Tampa Bay, and Toronto, and to come back uh, even, and then to be even now, 18 games in, uh, you know, I think it's a tremendous start, and it gives the ball club some confidence. But you got to score runs, (laughs) you know, some runs. And the A's are having trouble scoring runs now, and that's really the issue for them. And the bullpen is all new people. And it takes time to get your feet on the ground. Let's see what the pitcher has tonight, Blackburn, if he could keep the game close and then maybe get it to a bullpen game at the end. But, yeah, I think the start is terrific. Come on, 9-9, and are you kidding?
3: And, you know, every once in a while – there's a team that no one expected to do anything. I mean, Marty, you've researched this a lot about these teams that come out of nowhere. The names on the back of the jerseys are not the guys you think that can win. And you can go way back when there was no names on the back of the jerseys. But there's been teams that people had no expectations for and shocked the world. Because the only thing that matters, Marty, is that those guys in those uniform believed. Didn't matter what everybody else believed. Yeah,
5: absolutely. And look, this year, you know, again, Seattle, you know, they're playing excellent baseball now and they, they've got a a pitcher. Is it Gilbert who, who is absolutely terrific. I mean, he's, he's terrific. And I'll tell you another team that's dangerous now is the angels, you know, trout is on fire and all of a sudden with trout and Otani, you've, you know, and Rendon, You've got, and Sandoval looks like their best pitcher along with Syndergaard and Otani. The Angels are back all of a sudden. And then I think, you know, in the East, I think Tampa Bay has been a disappointment so far, but you know the way they play, they'll be there. And in the Central, I think Minnesota is probably a little better than we thought. And that that may be one, but uh, the White Sox are worse than we thought. Uh, Cleveland is a team that, Uh, The Giants handled very easily. Uh, It's a good race all over baseball. It really is. And then American League East is a beast. You know, look at Boston. They've got to go up to Toronto. And because of the rules of vaccinations, they can't take a couple of their best players up there. And it cost them the game last night. No doubt.
3: Yeah, not having uh, relievers. When you don't have your key guys, yeah, 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 it affects you. You know, when you talk about two-way players like Shohei Ohtani, obviously everybody's going to go back to Babe Ruth. There was, you know, Babe way back when, when Babe was on the mound for the Red Sox, one year he won 25, the next year won 24, vice versa. He won a lot of games. And then you really – I don't know how much you saw it. I mean, we talk about Mark Kotze. I played against Mark Kotze in college, and I thought, my God, if there was anybody it could be a two-way guy, he threw 96-97 and he hit bombs, uh, but he was never given that opportunity. The Marlins never gave him that shot. I remember Bruce Kieschnick out of Texas uh, never really got a chance to do it. But now that we're seeing Otani, but let's go back in history. Has there ever, other than Babe Ruth, ever a guy really given that chance to do both?
5: Boy, uh, I'm sure there are different ones who have been infielders and outfielders then became pitchers. I mean, uh, you think of Kenley Jansen, a catcher. And all of a sudden, he's a yeah. pitcher. But let, Trevor about, Hoffman. Yeah, t- right, shortstop. Yeah. And they couldn't hit, and they made him a re- – very good, Chris. That was a good pull. Uh, but to think of ones that did it actively, I mean, Willie Smith, believe it or not, look him up. Uh, he was an angel and tiger in the 60s. I remember how Jeff Co did it uh, in the 50s. Um, I, I can't th- – it wasn't in vogue. And Katsay is a good example. You know, he threw the heck out of the ball, but they never gave him a shot. Brandon Belt threw the heck out of the ball, and they never gave him a shot because now it's cool to yeah. to be a two way player. But for many, for decades, it was not cool, and no one was given that chance. There were a couple of the ones I mentioned come to mind for me, real quick.
3: Can you imagine? Can you imagine how amazing it would have been back in the day? Willie Mays doing everything he did in San, in San Francisco or in New York, and then coming in a ninth inning blowing cheese and closing games out. No, think <laughs> the guys with
5: great arms. Jesse Barfield of Toronto. Yes,
3: Dave Winfield. Oh, how about
5: HRO? You know, a guy like HRO with a great arm. Uh, Barfield, I said, um, you know, you've got people like them. Jeff Francois, great arm. Uh, you know, there's so many it would it would have been very interesting have a rocky calavito you know if you want to pull a name from the past you know a tremendous arm for cleveland and detroit in fact he did pitch every once in a while they put him in every once in a while what do you think about a position player pitching you think that makes a mockery of the game
3: no uh, oh yeah just just a guy coming in just to give you outs and yeah, innings uh, yeah Yeah, when you—if everybody is going to talk about the integrity of the game, we hear integrity all the time, and then you just throw a guy out there throwing forty-eight miles an hour, and we're already giving you eight million pitchers down in the bullpen. Yeah, I got an issue with it.
5: Yeah, it's funny about this sportsmanship and everything. You know, we haven't seen it here uh, in this series, and you know, the Giants are pushing the envelope every time you turn around with steals and bunts and all this stuff. They—they don't let up. But to decide whether it's right or wrong, it's not for you and me. It's for the players. And if they don't like it, they'll do something about it, the way the game is played. Now, it's not that simple to do it. You pitch inside, and just inside, I don't even mean knocking a guy down. You pitch inside, and there's warnings all over the place. You can't slide into second. You can't slide into home. So policing the game is hard, but they have to decide where the line is, and you'll see this as it's developing this year. They they will tell you, and we could debate it all day long. It means absolutely nothing. It's the players that will tell you where it is. It's going to be interesting to see what happens.
3: Yeah, I remember the whole thing with the Giants and the Padres, and there was obviously a stolen base in the second inning. I'm like, it's the yeah. second inning, and you can't steal bases? Because the thing that bugs me – is that at the end of the year, you're paid, especially in arbitration, on your numbers, and now you're starting to tell me that I can't play because of what the score is, and when can I play, when can I not, the unwritten rules, I understand that's old school, when you can bunt, when you cannot bunt. But, you know, when we were watching that game, it was obviously Bob Melvin, it was Matt Williams, it was those guys were angry, I don't know how angry like the younger Padre players were. So is this like something from the older generation that's still in the game hates that does the younger generation still really care about the unwritten rules? You're around a lot of these young giant players. How do they feel?
5: Yeah, I I think it's an identity that Kapler has sold to this ball club. Um, But there's a, there's a question of what when the line is drawn and what you can do now if you got a guy on first and you're up 9-3 to three and uh, it's the eighth inning and there's a ball in the gap and you score the guy and it's a close play at the plate, I don't have a problem with that. If you're up 9-3 or 10-3 and it's the eighth inning and you lay down a bunt, I sort of think, you know, you want sportsmanship or what, don't rub it in kind of thing, then that's that's something that has to be looked at. Look, you can steal a bag. They play behind runners all the time. And if they're going to play behind, take the base. Why not? If you don't want them to do it, then get on the bag. So I think there's a little bit of that involved. But you got to look at the situation and what baseball play happened. If you try to lay down a bunt, you're up 11-2 in the eighth inning, and you're bunting, there's a problem. There is. Now, if you're Ben Davis, and you're pitch, and a guy's pitching a no hitter. You know San Diego baseball. Yeah. A guys pitching a no hitter, and Ben Davis lays down a bunt, and it's a one nothing game in the eighth inning. That's okay. It just depends on the situation.
3: You know Willie Mays really well. You guys are very good friends, and I think of this class of guys where you're talking about three hundred average, five hundred home runs in uh, the 3,000 hits, when you're talking about Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, obviously Ted Williams should be there, and i like to bring him up because he missed those years for the service. He would have got the 3,000 hits and been a part of that. But when you talk about Miguel Cabrera as a hitter, getting mm-hmm. to that mark and being with these guys, what does that mean for you, his place in history? I
5: think it's great. I mean, he did things that no one else did. When you look at Jason Stark, from the Athletic, did a beautiful article on, on it last week It Look It Up. Um, this is a guy who's got 3,000 hits. He's got 500 home runs. Um, he uses the whole field. This is not just a, a power hitter. Miguel Cabrera was a good third baseman, and he's a good baseball player. And I think he, he really cemented himself into that situation uh, for all time. There's more to him than we know. Now, where did he play? He played at Miami and Detroit. So who knows what he could do? We saw him in the World Series against the Giants. And, you know, as I said that the other day on the show, he could get 6,000 hits. But what everyone will remember about Miguel Cabrera is taking strike three from Romo to end the World Series uh, in 2012. But he's a fabulous player and did things no one else did and But he used the whole field. He's a hitter, and that's what I like about him.
3: You know, you got to see Hank Aaron, and you got to see Willie Mays. Obviously, just looking at the video, Aaron was so unique because he hit off his front foot. He yeah, yeah, he, Roberto Clemente. You would not teach that to a hitter to get out on your front foot, but you got, I mean, your hands have to be so strong and moving yeah. your head that much, but obviously it worked. Talk about what it was like to watch Mays and Aaron. What were their, educate us fans who didn't get to see it. What were their games like offensively?
5: Well, it was, you know, you couldn't, you know, that was an era of fastballs too, and the pitchers were smart. But there was the old saying that, you know, getting a fastball past Hank Aaron was like getting the sun past the rooster. <laughs> so it, it, it tells you, you know, and then another guy, you know, would say, you know, the pitchers were so good. Uh, certain Kofax and Marichal talk about the other side of the coin. You know, hitting them was like trying to drink coffee with a fork, you know, that kind of stuff. So you had those comparisons. But to get to your point, it was the power. It was the power because people got thrown at in those days. You know, you didn't just get moved off the plate, you know, inside. Let's see his feet move. You got knocked down. Yes. And they got up and still had that power. And I think it was in the wrists. I really do. Uh, Ernie Banks. How about Ernie Banks? Take a look at the stuff he did uh, as an MVP in 57 and 58 shortstop. He was the first one that hit 40-plus home runs at 47, 48 home runs. Um, to answer your question, I think it's the wrists. I think it was that's what it was. And the ball could be past them. It was like Bonds. Bonds' wrists were incredible. The ball could be, you'd say, well, that's past them. And all of a sudden, here comes the bat and they whack it. So I think that's it the ability to let the ball get deep.
3: You know, I think Miguel Cabrera kind of reignited some things in me when I started seeing what he's doing and then seeing players on these lists, and I just start, I don't know where you are on it, Marty, but when I start looking at these lists and some of the guys on these incredible lists that did incredible things are not in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and you're just like, I know we were in a period, we covered it, we were around it, but these guys still did it, and it's just weird when you say, Miguel Cabrera is joining this group who all did that, but yet, like, three or four of them are not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like, Barry Bonds is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's like, what are we doing here?
5: Well, wait. You know, we've got new committees now, you know, and, and Clemens and Bonds are going to be considered by 12 people instead of 400. And as the demographics change on these committees and time goes by, uh, Bonds and Clemens will get in. And that it's just a matter of time. Um, You know, when the older sports writers are gone and some of the older Hall of Famers are gone and it's people who just will look and say, hey, this guy had seven MVPs, you know, before the steroid era. Uh, And it'll 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 happen for them. Uh, It's not going to happen right away. Now, Pete Rose is a different story. You know, everyone says, oh, there's gambling, you know, in baseball today. Charlie Blackman is endorsing, you know, one of these uh, gambling sites, even though it's not for baseball. What about Pete Rose? Well, when Pete Rose bet on his team, you couldn't do that. Now, you still can't do it, but it was really something you couldn't do at that period of time. And he would send, you know, his guy down to make bets at that time. And if he didn't send the guy that day, the bookies would say, hey, what's going on today? So Pete is a different question. And I know he'd like to say, hey, there's gambling today. Let me in. What he did. When he violated the rule was was dramatic, and that's gonna keep him out.
3: You think about how big that story was nationally. Just not we're talking sports. Pete Rose yeah. gambling, uh, you know, and I think Bart Giamatti, and I think that whole thing that was that was that was on network news leading prime time, it was so oh, big. Is it and- Hitler? And then and then now I'm turning MLB Network now as a gambling show every afternoon where they're breaking <laughs> down overs and unders. Did you ever think after what we saw with Pete Rose, we would get to where we are now?
5: Honestly no. I really thought be- baseball and, and I'm naive. What can I tell you even at this <laughs> stage in my life? No, you're I not. Thought, I thought baseball would would stay away from it because the one thing baseball never wants is that scandal that the game may not be on the line and that someone could be doing compromised in some way. So I I truly believed that they would never get that level. Now we know how much gambling goes on in, in the country. And now as things have evolved with offshore betting and now it's, it's okay. Different States are approving it. It was seeping into baseball and what got, into baseball was the one thing that motivates everybody in baseball and it's the do re me and that's it it's the money and they couldn't turn down the money and and that's it so they compromised their sport in a way and now now you could bet during the game you know the score yeah. changes and all of a sudden you make you're making another bet during the game you can bet on pitches there's all sorts of prop bets how many uh, bases a guy will get so i think it's crazy Uh, I wish baseball didn't do it, but it's the money.
3: Let's end on this. You can make one change, good or bad, whatever you want. You're Marty Lurie. You're a Hall of Famer. I'm putting you in charge of Major League Baseball. You can do whatever you want to the sport. What's the one thing that you would like to see in baseball that's not happening now?
5: I would say the shift, honestly. I would say you got to have you know your feet on the dirt. If you want to have three people on the right side, go ahead. But you can't do this thing all over the place because it's destroyed left-handed hitting. It's destroyed them. And it's not that simple to go the other way. Try turning 98 around to go the other way. It's not that simple to do it. Um, so for me, I think that has changed the dynamic of the game where all of a sudden, singles are not important. Going first to third is not important. Uh, playing for a run is not important because you say, "Hey, if he gets a double, that's better than three singles." He may not score if he gets two doubles. I know he's scoring, or if he hits a home run over the shift, I know that's going to be a run. So I'd like to see more action in the game. And I'll tell you something: the pace of the game has got to pick up. So I'm going to say shift <laughs> and and the pace of the game. You just can't sit there. For three and a half hours and watch a guy go in the box, out of the box, a pitcher, rub up the ball and everything else. This pitch clock, when it comes in next year, and it will. Thank God. That is going to be a very dramatic change for the way we watch a game. But for me, if I was a commissioner, get rid of the shift. At least, you know, get rid of the deep shift.
3: Yeah, it's so funny. When you talk to guys like us, Marty, guys who are on and working after games, anything you can do to speed it up. I'm I'm down for any rule, any technology. Just just bring me something that's not three hours.
5: Look, I followed John Miller and the lap. You know, come on, man. And, you know, I would be sitting there, you know, the game ends at, at 10, 15, and yeah. I'm getting on at 11. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's yeah. Just, you know, so believe me, believe me, <laughs> I understand you and me understand this. Yeah. Not many people do, but stop talking after the game, get, get to the post-game show, it, which makes more sense anyway, because people are still involved with the game. So, but you do a good job. You well, know, hey, so a lot the of people of the post-game show is creating a, a, plat- a dialogue with the fans good or bad and you've been terrific about it. When the as are not going well, you're the first guy to say, hey, they stink right now. You can't do that. And that's the key to the postgame show is getting that dialogue going with the fans. And you do you really do a good job with it.
3: Now, I don't want to get too inside, but it is true that the Giants have the longest broadcast postgame show. so you get on later, after the final out no one gets yeah. on later after a game than actually you.
5: Yeah, no, it's it was twenty to thirty minutes, thirty-five minutes. Yeah. And uh, you know, that was it. But I look, I would do like you were I, I know how hard you work. I would do I still do the pregame three and three quarter hours. And then when I did the post game it was three to four hours. I did this for ten years. Three and three I was on longer than the game. <laughs> really? When you added up how many hours I'm on the air, more than the giant broadcast.
3: You were better than some of the games. Who are you kidding?
5: Well, it was I was uh, I was lucky because the fans responded because I can bring this kind of discussion to the to the airwaves, and it's not jock radio, sh- you know, sh- shocking radio, that kind of stuff. But it's talking about what baseball is all about and connecting the dots. And also knowing that, yes, Rodon broke Tim Linscombe's record of the first four starts and strikeouts. And also that Juan Marichal pitched a one-hitter in 1960 in his first start. I'm at the right stage of my career to connect all those kind of dots.
3: There is nobody better. He is the historian, the great Marty Lurie. There's a reason why. He's in the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame.
5: When I did the A's, brought, you know, Chris, how many pre-games I did for the oh. A's from 1998 to 2009? I mean, you and interviewed everybody. 90, everybody. It was, it was a 90-minute pre-game every single day. Every single day. And Ken Korak would laugh that I would run from clubhouse to clubhouse. and And then I'd go upstairs, and we'd have to feed the tape. And then I'd go on for 90 minutes. So my time with the A's was really amazing for me. I didn't know anything. And uh, it was it was fortunate that I could do that. A lot of good people helped me.
3: I guarantee you could show up to Tori Hunter's house right now, <laughs> knock on the up. door, he'd open it and he'd hug you like you guys were brothers.
5: Yeah, yeah. How do you know that? Tori and I really we had fun together.
3: You know how many you know how many interviews I heard you and Tori Hunter do over the years? That's funny. Yeah, it was one of my best. Yeah, we had a good time together. Now, I've been listening, Marty. I've been listening. Yeah, very good.
5: He uh, he introduced me to Denard Span, and when Span was with the Giants, uh, we connected with each other through through the Tory Hunter connection. Very good. Good
3: Chris, you got good knowledge. You are the best, my friend. Be well, and we'll see you soon.
5: All right, let's see if it's a two nothing game tonight.
3: Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> the great Marty Lurie. Well, we have a special for you. Steven Kwan is with us here from the Cleveland Guardians. And we always like to bring on people who are hometown products from Fremont. Uh, You've been setting the baseball world on fire really ever since the Pac-12, but now really in Major League Baseball. It is an honor to lead the show with you. And we always like bringing Bay Area kids back who have been doing so well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you having me. Now, you used to actually show up here for field trips back in the day when you were a kid.
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Get a free day off of school, go play some – or watch some baseball, eat some popcorn. It was always a good time.
3: So, for you, you start out this season. You're not striking out, which is wonderful to see. We'll get into that. But how about that where we are in baseball, where all you got to do is make contact – And people love you for it.
6: Yeah. No, it's not bad. (laughs) I'm not the guy who can hit home runs. So just making contact is all my game. So to be uh, rewarded for it is always pretty cool.
3: And to start the season out the way you did, how was the national attention?
6: Yeah, it was cool. It was a little overwhelming, um, just trying to get my feet wet, just trying to be successful in baseball, and then all that kind of media attention coming. It was it was definitely overwhelming, but I had some good uh, some good teammates, some good mentors just kind of help me through, it, and it's been working out so far.
3: Yeah, a lot of us don't know what that's like when all of a sudden, because I actually did a report on you during the games I do during our broadcast. I do these hits about everything going on in baseball, and obviously being local, we talk about, hey, this guy doesn't strike out. He makes time. So, when the baseball world is starting to talk to you, yes, you could talk to people, but still you got to handle it.
6: Yeah, no. What no. did you do? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's nice online kind of seeing like people praising you, but I knew that's not like a sustainable thing. So I tried to, I deleted my Twitter. Uh, just try to stay off of social media for that. Um, and just trying to like talk to the people back home, just stay grounded in that area because there's just so many like. So many signals where it's like, "Oh, you're you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing great," and it's like, "Okay, like that's cool, but I don't want to feed into that because that's not that's not gonna be me every day. I just want to stay consistent."
3: That's interesting. You deleted your Twitter account.
6: I just deleted the app. I still have my Twitter account, but okay, I just deleted yeah. the app just so it's less accessible. You just want it out. Yeah, yeah. Just I don't want the see noise it. out. Yeah, yeah. The,
3: the, the account always lives there. but, Yeah, yeah I get you. Mm-hmm. That that is interesting. Yeah, because it's probably been a while. I mean, Ramirez obviously is a beast, but it's probably been a while that there's been a. Uh, A guy on Cleveland who's taken the baseball world by storm.
6: Yeah, it's been pretty cool so far. Cleveland's obviously been super, super loving in that aspect, so I'm super grateful for that.
3: Now, we're so used to, obviously, the Indians, the change to the Guardians. Uh, I was just telling you off, Mike, that last time I was in Cleveland, before COVID, Chief Wahoo was gone. Still the Indians, but kind of deciding where are they going to go. They didn't know at the time. So as a player, and I'm sure as you travel around, people are having trouble because they still want to say Indians. What has it been like for you guys with this change?
6: It's been pretty cool. It's been an honor to kind of be that first wave of Guardians to be uh, added to the baseball world. Um, and the kind of idea behind the Guardians is always really cool. The you know the statue is kind of the beginning of the, uh, the city. So it's an honor to kind of have this new wave and just, just trying to create a legacy out of it.
3: Now, obviously, this road trip hasn't been great for you guys. There's been struggles. There's been struggles offensively. Where are you guys right now heading into this series?
6: Yeah, I think uh, I think we've taken some really good strides. I think we face faced some really good pitching. I think it's always tough to give pitchers credit in some aspects as a hitter. But there have been a lot of pitchers that have been hitting their spots. Uh, we're chasing out of the zone a little bit. But I think we have a really good core. We have a really good idea of what we want to do with the play. And if we stick to our plan, I think we can do some damage.
3: I know when you talk to pitchers, they hate guys who don't strike out, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, strike out, when you got these guys, everybody's looking at launch angle, trying to get the ball out of the ballpark. You can strike those guys out, and then at times you can walk them, not deal with them, put them on first. Mm-hmm. But a guy like you, they got to deal with you. Mm-hmm. And I know it, it goes back to like when Greg Maddox was talking about Tony Gwynn. Mm-hmm. Just how much do you pride yourself, the plate discipline, making contact, just not striking out, but making that good heart contact and not striking out.
6: Yeah, no, I definitely pride myself on that. Um, I kind of had to change my game in that, you know, like 13 years old, everybody starts to grow and I'm starting to stay the same. So I'm definitely seeing I'm not going to be a power guy growing up. So just kind of understanding what I do well, you know, working a count, putting the ball in play, uh, barreling a ball up in the gap, trying to leg it out for a second. Like that's always been my game and I can't be somebody I'm not. I can't kind of buy into those launch angle and power numbers. So just sticking with my game and trying to perfect it in every way I can is, I think, how I got here.
3: And it's really weird as someone who's covered this game a long time, the fact that there's like a whole new appreciation for your type of player, which a couple of years ago, everybody just wanted to talk about hitting the ball at the ballpark and how far you hit it and when you're on the mound, how hard you throw it. How proud are you? You're kind of bringing back the kind of the old-school way of baseball. Why? Because it works.
6: Yeah, no, it's been affirming for sure. Uh, like when I was in the minors, too, I kind of see it like they're the home runs are sexy, you know, the velo is sexy, and it's kind of like, well, I hope there's a spot for me in the big leagues. Um, and I think I'm really happy that I'm able to kind of show that there's still a spot for guys like me in baseball.
3: Well, there's always going to be a question, too, because knowing you started Oregon State, mm-hmm. you know the question of going from the metal bat contact guy to the wood bat contact guy you're proving yeah that still works
6: yeah just barrels play everywhere you know like on a metal bat or a wood bat as long as you get the bat on the ball and barrel it up it'll it'll be something good so what has
3: big league life been like since you've come up you've had time you know you're getting a little bit in the spotlight just how is how has the world changed for you
6: I don't think it's changed too much. I think I have another a new appreciation for like the small things. Like the food on these road trips have been unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. We just came from New York and yeah. everybody's talking about the spreads over there and somehow it like lived up to that glory. Like it's it's been pretty cool. The travel's been awesome. The guys have been amazing. It's been it's been real cool so far.
3: Yeah, speaking of New York, it got, it got ugly at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. obviously with you, and then it got ugly and right. Just take us through that. What was that experience like?
6: Yeah, I think for me, I had a kind of a dazed approach to all that because after I came off the wall, I was I was I was hurt pretty bad, so I wasn't able to hear kind of all the stuff they were saying to me. But luckily, I got great teammates like Miles and Merck kind yeah. of had my back, and they said something over to them. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. And the tempers flew high. It was a really close game, a really exciting game. So I understand that the Yankees fans, you know. They're, they're really passionate how they feel, but, yeah, one thing led to another, and it got a little crazy out there.
3: Yeah, when, when Miles goes up on the – he's going up, and he's going up on the wall, I yeah. mean, and you can see the fans go, whoa. I yeah. mean, that to me, yes, negative for the game doesn't look good, but I think inside your clubhouse, that doesn't that build something?
6: Absolutely, and like I said, like, I was dazed. I didn't know what they were saying, and Miles sticking up for me, like, he didn't even know if I heard that, but the fact that he's trying to stick up for me and – let those guys know that what he said isn't acceptable. I mean that means a lot to me and I appreciate that. That's my brother and I'm, I'm grateful for him.
3: And then how weird was it that the way the game ended and the Yankee players came out to go, whoa, 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 this is getting out of control. Yeah. Um I you probably weren't you weren't even out there at the time, right? I was. I stayed you in the
6: yeah, I stayed in the game for that. What was that like? Again, it was just wild. Like Merck Merck's catching the beer bottles getting caught in yeah. him and we're trying to like get him out of there. The Yankees fans are coming flooding out there. And it was like a little mouse in the palace. Like, I looked up, and I see these beer cans flying with a little beer trail behind it. I thought it was really cool, but uh, I'm glad it didn't escalate to anything else after that.
3: No, yeah, that's something. And, and that's always tough, too, because right after the right after the heat of it, you got to get, get in front of the media. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, you wish there was that long cooling-off period. Unfortunately, there's not.
6: Yeah, well, luckily, I just went straight to the, the training room because I was pretty banged up from that wall, so I got to dodge all that.
3: Well, you got to get going. You got to do BP. Hey, thank you so much for the time. And you know that we're always rooting for the Bay Area guys to do well and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And we want to do this for a long time with you.
6: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, guys.
3: Sandy Alomar Jr. is going to join us here. As the last time we were able to talk to him was down in Las Vegas, right before COVID, if you remember that.
2: That was, uh, yes, just like a week before COVID, right? Yeah,
3: like we were like all – We had two games where the Aviators play there in Las Vegas. And we were talking to you, and we'll get to that in a second, about your great career in Vegas. I know how it meant Mm -hmm. to you being a AAA with the Padres at the time. Mm -hmm. And then we all went back to spring
2: training. And right after that, our world's completely changed. That was insane. Uh, We we're going back to spring training. And uh, all of a sudden, it's like, who knows what, what was going on in Las Vegas, how much COVID was there before we came back. But. The news came in in our spring training. We had a meeting, and uh, all of a sudden, there's no more baseball. We had to go home.
3: Well, I think you were the last in-person, non-A's guest that we had. Because after that, we went to spring training. It was a few A's, and boom, we were shut down. For almost in-person, for almost two years, you were the last
2: guy we had talked
3: to. That's that's
2: pretty crazy right there. But uh, I'm honored.
3: Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I'm
2: honored. Because we are sitting
3: here talking about, I mean, obviously, your great career, then Vegas talking about how much Vegas meant to you back in the day when you're with the Padres and your family obviously your family history with them and and for you being back in Vegas
2: was a big deal yeah that was a turning point in my career in the minor leagues uh, I uh, started uh, becoming the player that everybody thought was going to be when I when I got when I signed as a free agent with the, with the Padres I was a 17 18 year old kid and uh, struggled at the beginning but then when I went to Double A uh, in uh, uh, Wichita, I started turning that corner, understanding you know that the level of baseball we were playing at that, that level. And then, in '88 and '89, when I went to Vegas, it was it was an amazing, uh, amazing time there. Great, great numbers, great uh, championship season in '88 and '89 uh, was uh, my best year in the minor leagues.
3: You know, the we're going to be honoring Ray Fosse throughout the year, and of course we're going to unveil his patch out here in left center and. He's uh, out at Heritage Park, his plaque. I remember when we were there in Cleveland, I went with Ray to do the interview. He always talked so highly of you, loved you. He loved catching, loved the game. It's so sad we lost our friend Ray Fossey, but I just think it's fitting that we waited for the Indians to be in town to honor Ray Fossey, truly one of the greats of our game, and my God, he's missed.
2: Yes, he's uh, one of the persons that I always enjoy talking baseball to. I, I, you know, when my father, my father played against uh, Ray, he was with the A's and the Indians uh, early in the early 70s. And uh, Robbie and myself we used to love to watch uh, the, the Oakland A's when they come to Anaheim because they were the, the team to beat. And uh, But when I signed professional, uh, Ray always took time out of, out of his time to talk to me and uh, to give me some good advice and stuff like that. But always, always, always uh, it's fun to come here to, to Oakland and have him wait over there waiting till I come out and the experience that I had talking to him was it was amazing it was like I cherish that for life
3: yeah you know and, and there is something about you catchers there's this fraternity <laughs> right about correct. you catchers that you know and we got Brad Osmus now on the staff it's the longtime catchers it's kind of like like almost all of the quarterbacks are in the NFL you guys are like that in baseball
2: that's correct and we have that care for each other and uh, we always like, uh, I, I'm one of the guys that always observe all the other catchers, uh, how to do uh, the, the defensive mechanics differently than others and always curious about what is in their plan, what do they do, why, why you do it like that. And Ray always was the same way. He always asked questions about that. And the evolution of catching has gone so, so differently now uh, with the one knee and different ways of receiving that, you know, it's very intriguing talking to all the catchers in baseball and always ask questions. Do you like what they're doing now
3: behind the plate, defensively, like you said, sometimes getting down on one knee because Ray hated it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 you have to adapt, and, and you have to explain to people what the reason of it is. It's, uh, a lot of times it's more like a, uh, to give the catcher a break uh, of uh, the wear and tear of the uh, long season. But also also it's, uh, it's a tricky way to uh, uh, not having a marker or a uh, – a reference of the lower part of the zone. Because when you have your knees up, the, the reference of the uh, the lower part of the zone is from the knee down. But when the knee's not there, the umpire re- doesn't know what the lower part. If you receive it good, it seems like the ball was in the bottom part of the quadrant. So there's many things that uh, they, that is, is uh, advantage, also disadvantage, because when you want one knee, you're really locking your hips in the ground in one way. If you don't know how to use your, your heels to move to the lateral to block balls, then it becomes difficult. It might become difficult, too, to throw guys out to, in, 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 when they go to steal, because it might be a little bit different. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Uh, I think you have more mobility in the conventional stands uh, hip-wise and uh, more balance. But for other people that have limitations in their hips and ankles, one knee would be probably the best way to go.
3: I never thought about that. So essentially, traditionally, we know how catchers set up. You now take your knees away. Let's say your right leg's straight and you're down on one left knee. For an umpire, you've taken away the two knees that help him call the strike zone. Yes, yeah, so I never thought about
2: that. So if you call outside to a righty, normally the the the, the trackman stands that you have track we call it we call it uh, uh, the track stands because when you go in the track stands, you go in this direction. So if you, if you call outside to a righty, so you, you, you lift your right knee up and the left knee should be down. That way this area right here is where the umpire doesn't have the reference. But from this leg in, even though you have this leg in the ball side, from this leg in, it might be a strike. Because he thinks sometimes they think that, that from that knee in, it's in a strike zone. So if you call inside to a righty or away from a lefty, the left knee should be up. From that marker in, should be a strike. And then uh, the bottom of the zone, depending where the umpire's head is, if he's in the right side, he's gonna the reference of the lower of the zone is gonna be you receiving. That's
3: that's I, I I never thought of it that way, but now it makes total sense. By the way, we're looking at Ramirez. Uh, you've played with some of the great players in Indians history. You're one of the great players in Indians history, and some of the teams you were on were just so stacked. But talk about how special this guy is, because it just you know. Looking at the highlights, it's like every night watching quick quick pitch on MLB Network. He's doing something.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a total package. He's a guy that he grinds. He loves to be uh, in the center of the of the action. Not saying he don't he, he doesn't like attention at all. He's not that kid that l- seek for attention. But he likes to be in the pressure situations. And, uh, and the best part is that he wants to stay in Cleveland. He wanted to be a part of uh, the Cleveland Guardian for the for the for the remaining of his career. That's the best part. Uh, I feel like he sacrificed a little bit contract-wise, but if he, if he enjoys it there you know, and, and loves the, the, the fan base and his family is comfortable there, sometimes you have to sacrifice that.
3: You know, you guys and you particularly were part of that blueprint that John Hart put together is he got the young guys like you and Bayerga and those guys. And then you started winning. Boom, you open up the new ballpark. Then you start bringing in, because you already had Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and yourself and all these guys. And then here comes your brother and Eddie Murray and all these guys. Yeah. Just what was that time? You, Jacobs Field, you guys had the the sellout streak. You had that record going. That time in Cleveland, I don't know if you ever get it back. That was such a special time.
2: Super special times. And uh, that's what happened when you get and you sign players and risky. Uh, to below market value in the long run, the, the players were uh, playing below market value, but you have superstar players below uh, market value, and you're able to extend your uh, winning season year after year because you got Manny Ramirez, Vero market, market, Gene told me. But then when the when the when the train hit the the end of the tracks, then <laughs> those guys those guys realized, hey, wait a minute, I need to get paid. Yeah. So it, it became a little different, but. Uh, they they uh, wanted to play for the organization. They felt like, we all felt like, uh, like for example, when I got traded from San Diego, I felt like a, a lot of responsibility to be part of a, a winner organization. And we, we talked to other players and said, listen, I'm going to stay here. I want to I be part of I have an opportunity to play Major league baseball. These people gave it to me. Whatever they feel like is fair for, for me or I feel like it's fair, I'm going to just stay here.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, you got to be pretty happy with, you know, your time in Cleveland here, you know, guys change, guys leave, but you guys kind of like the A's still stay competitive.
2: Yes, they they, they do a fantastic job uh, evaluating talent and uh, um, how to f- how to figure out how to maintain yourself uh, uh, efficient efficient baseball. And uh, we one thing they, they the Indians or the Guardians now we, we do is like they they focus a lot on pitching. Pitching is going to sustain you uh through the course of a or uh what do you call it a rebuilding uh, time it, you can't call it rebuilding all the way because you, your pitching is so good so yeah. you it, it help you to maintain at least to not to be goal below 500 right now we're in a tough stretch and uh every time we come to the west coast sometimes we get a, a butt kick but uh i have these guys are resilient um, I'm, I'm assuming they, they 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 know how to get out of it
3: well there's no question whether we're talking Indians or guardians you're always going to go down as one of the great ones as you were when it came to all-star catcher <laughs> and and the teams that you played on and all the post seasons it was so much fun to watch and it's always great to have you on the program let's just hope that we're going to end this interview and we can do it again next year correct yeah correct
2: we'll not make it two years in a pandemic in between yeah let's let's see uh, how this uh evolved with the new uh, covid situation but uh, Teens, uh, players are getting recuperated a lot faster, and hopefully we get over this. Well, it's always an honor
3: to have you on. It yeah. really is. Thank you so much. I appreciate the
2: invitation. Thank you very much. Chill, Noisy is going to join
3: us right here. How are you doing? Thank you. I- I'm doing wonderful. Welcome to A's Cast Live. We've had you on before, but I think it was by phone back in the day. So I think this is your first time on our actual set here I believe next to so. the dugout. Yes, sir. Well, you know what, I've been I've been waiting for this interview. By the way, nice start, no question. I think the one thing that you've always shown and you've always believed in, you can hit, and you're showing that this year. How, how nice has that start been for you? Uh, I think
7: it's good for anyone to get off to a nice start. It definitely builds the confidence early in the season and allows you to kind of feed off of that and build on some other things. Uh, but it's definitely been nice to get to a fresh start here.
3: You know, I was told by somebody in the front office a while ago, that the last time you were here and you got sit, sent down, you were miffed. You were really miffed. And I remember going, yeah, I." when you believe you've done everything you can do down there, of course you're going to be miffed, right? That's, that's your, your career. You have every right. How much of this nice start makes you feel, after what happened last time, makes you think, yeah, you know what, I knew it?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think I always knew that I could do it. Uh just kind of waiting for the opportunity to realize that back then I was a little younger, a little different trying to do things maybe when I did get called up that I, I couldn't do as a baseball player and understanding that a little bit more as I get older and the years go on. But uh, I think i just finding myself and being able to stay in that groove the whole year is going to be the biggest key. And getting off to that start definitely helps.
3: So far with this group, you've had 36 different guys play. You've had a lot of young guys play. I know a lot of people always like to talk about how this is a a young roster, and I always go, well, before the whole COVID thing happened, it wasn't a young roster. I mean, other than Kevin Smith and and Pache, everybody is 27 and older with some guys in their 30s, even higher 30s. Just a lot of different guys when you have 36 guys so far. What's that been like?
7: I think it's been awesome. I mean, you get to see a bunch of guys get in there and get some first opportunities, some guys some some other opportunities, and everybody's taking advantage of it. the pitching staff, the offense, defense, everything. I mean, we're, for the most part, I think we're playing good baseball other than a couple spots here and there that have kind of led to a few
3: losses. But
6: all in all, I mean,
3: we're competing with everybody that we have, like you said. Well, let's be honest, even though the record says 10 and nine and most people would say, well, it's just a game over 500. You know, in the post game show, I've been saying the hell with that. Are you kidding me? No one projected, no one believed, which I've always said, it doesn't matter what guys like I think or what guys in the media think. The only that matters is you guys. I think if you look at the numbers, you look at the start of the season, that brutal road trip, and where you guys are right now, I think you got to say it's a hell of a start.
7: Yeah, I mean we're just a couple big hits and you know a couple plays defensively, you know that we could easily have thirteen, fourteen wins, and uh, we're putting ourselves in the positions offensively to get those runs, and our our pitching staffs doing phenomenal, keeping guys from scoring. So. We just got to be able to execute a little bit better, and that's what we've been focused on. But moving forward, if we execute, I think we're going to surprise even more people.
3: You know, I, I know it's a situation with professional athletes. You guys have a ton of pride, and if some things happen that don't go your way right away, you try not to get in your head. And I talked to Mark Kotze earlier today here on the Mark Kotze Show. We're going to play that coming for you at 5 o'clock. We talked about you and a couple airs. You don't want to get too much in your head. Stuff happens, right? And He's not worried about it. Has he talked to you? Eric Martin's talked to you. What, what, how are you guys going about yeah, I've it? I've
7: had a couple of players and a couple of staff members reach out. Just, you know, you got to relax and play the game. And I think part of it is getting in there and maybe trying to do a little too much defensively, you know, and speeding the game up when I don't have to speed the game up. And uh, just kind of getting comfortable again, playing every day, getting in there and not rushing things. Yeah. Um,
3: And let's be honest, sometimes you get tough hops, you get tough plays.
7: Yeah, a lot of it, you know, putting myself in some bad positions, I think that's part of it, just getting some more reads, um, which we're getting there. I'm, it's frustrating, you know, because obviously I want to go out there and play to the best of my ability, which I don't think I have defensively, but you can only get better. So glad we're getting it all out now, and hopefully the rest of the year is way smoother, which I anticipate it will be.
3: One thing I love about your approach, and we've been talking about this as it, it basically went like this. You look at what Sheldon's doing, and that's hit number eight to the right side, hit number nine, hit number 10, hit number 11. We've been tracking it because we have been so tired up here of watching everybody hit into the shift. And I I have no idea why anybody would shift you. I, I just, they're not listening to this, so we're going to have to But I'm like, shifting against you is just dumb. Uh, I appreciate the approach going the other way. How they pitch you, taking it, driving in runs, going the other way, beating the shift. How much do you pride yourself in that?
7: Yeah, I mean, just being able to drive the ball the other way, you got a full field for a reason. You know, it plays just as even as it does the righties as it does the lefties. Nobody said you have to pull the ball or you have to hit the ball here. So (laughs) the object of the game is to get runs across the board. My job in the box is find a way on base, driving the baseball wherever it is, left, right, whatever. I'm just aiming for the middle, so I have the most
3: room for error foul pole to foul pole baby I saw this the other day on MLB Network and they put up this graphic of exit velocity for hitters and I'm going some of these guys are hitting 230 so that's great when they hit it they hit it really hard but they're hitting 230 batting average everyone wants to get rid of batting average hate batting average you hit for batting average I don't mean something to you it means something to us we're trying to say hey as we're seeing the game regress Guys like you, we just talked to Stephen Kwan. I mean, there is a place for guys to put the ball in play. How much have you noticed, you know, how valuable it is to be a guy on that offense is more than just a strikeout, walk, home run guy?
7: Well, I mean, those guys that are hitting home runs, solo home runs, very seldom do you see those win games. You know, we just had one with Pinder, but... How often does that happen? I mean, you, you, gotta, you gotta have guys on base when you hit the big fly. And so if you don't have the table setter, guys that, that are getting on base consistently, then it's gonna be harder to win games. And uh, I mean, my job as a hitter is to hit. I'm hitting wherever it is, whatever it may be. If it's single, double, if it goes over the fence, it goes over the fence. I just wanna hit hit the ball hard and whatever happens, happens.
3: Well, you mentioned it. Yeah, you never see it. If you think of how long the A's have been in business, going back to Philadelphia, Kansas City here well over a hundred years we what you guys did in San Francisco has never happened in A's history right leadoff batter hits a home run and that's it for the rest of the game and we we got that note it's like even though it doesn't feel like history was just made history was just made that's pretty cool
7: it's unbelievable you know didn't note it didn't notice it or know of it till after the game but sitting around thinking about it like you know we were we were a part of that that was kind of crazy if you think about it all in all
3: yeah especially with a team that had ricky henderson that hit the most career leadoff home runs and it's never happened before let's get into your guys's pitching because it's definitely exceeded what a lot of people have thought how have you felt about the starters and then we'll get to the bullpen
7: the starters have been great i mean they're consistent you know what you're getting out of them they're keeping up a good pace they're filling up the zone and then guys coming out of the pen are doing the same thing. I mean, you know, one guy has a bad outing, the next guy's picking them up and vice versa. I mean, I've been I've been shocked. Hey, it's fun to watch these guys pitch, and it's fun to play behind them.
3: And then the bullpen has been one of the better bullpens. If you would have said at the start of the season, most people would have said, you know, what are you drinking, right? Dave, the be- where we are today, this bullpen's been one of the best bullpens in baseball. Yeah,
7: so we're just playing baseball, man. You're just making the most of your opportunities, you know there's probably a lot more people here than other organizations that have been doubted and they're coming up here and they're proving themselves right now
3: let's end on this because i know you got to get your work in you just mentioned basically you got a bunch of hungry guys out here in this clubhouse you got a lot of guys who are getting an opportunity that maybe they wouldn't get in other organizations just talk about the hunger and the drive that you see in the clubhouse with your teammates
7: i mean i think we're showing it on the field i mean like you said we're probably a, a younger team if you will and I mean, we're coming out and we're competing. We're running the bases. We're diving for balls. We're laying out. We're trying to get bunts. We're hitting and running. You know, we're shutting people down on defense. We're getting the big double plays when we need to on defense. we got a center fielder that covers everything from line to line. I mean, the guys are just playing, and we're playing hard, and it's going to be all year.
3: Well, keep doing it. I know it's been nice to have a couple days off and now another homestand. Good luck, and we'll talk to you again soon.
7: Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. This has been a presentation of the
1: Oakland Athletics.